Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. The Horseman was a Hessian mercenary sent to the shores by German princes to keep Americans under the yoke of England. But unlike his compatriots who came for money, the Horseman came for love of podcasts. That's not Depp, right? That's no, it's Michael, Michael, Michael Gambon, Gambon, which I was pretty off on that one, too. Ooh, way off. Way off. No offense. But no, Michael was, Gambon is a very, you know, he know. talks in a very particular way. And I couldn't find it. Yeah. Uh, hello, everybody. My name's Griffin Newman. I am David Sims. I'm Michael Gambon. No, yes. he's got kind of like a. All right, it's okay. Don't, that was him. It comes from lower. It comes from yeah. lower. Yeah, yeah, right. lower. It comes See, from like I'm, the spleen. I feel yeah. like I'm getting to Ian McKelleny. Sure, it, indeed. Gambon. No, because it's. I feel like well, he almost has more you sound a, like Michael Goff in this movie. I sound a little yeah. like Michael Goff. He's got That's, a very particular voice too. He's got a very particular haircut in this movie. <laughs> it's a mullet. Yes, I, I don't know how else to describe it. The most particular he has an old timey mullet, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, because Michael Gambon, if I'm not mistaken, is Irish, and he's got uh, this sort of twang to his accent. Yeah, it's very, it's very hard to do. Um, yeah, this was the year that like Michael Gambon, like he had the insider a few weeks after this mm-hmm. with a southern accent, right? And it was like the first time I really noticed Michael Gambon in a you know within that four week period where it was like seeing two magnificent performances. <laughs> For sure. With two very different accents. I, so you didn't like, see toys, is what you're telling me, in theaters. Because he's the yeah, villain. In he's very good in toys. A uh, very strange performance where he shoots himself in the foot trying to shoot a fly that has landed on his foot. And then he shoots himself in the foot by taking on toys. <laughs> yeah, true. Right. That one probably knocked him back a few years. Uh, but you're right. This is the emergence of Michael right. Gambon. This is when he becomes a reliable American character yes, actor. Right. 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 And, and a guy Already can, a British theater legend or whatever. Right. But, and uh, respected film actor. But now he becomes like, you got an extra million lying around. Get million. Gambon, do a couple scenes. He'll do less. He'll do it for less. Uh, I'm saying for the bigger films. Sure. He probably, do you think he like pulled down about a mil for, for later Potters? I, I would at least. Right? You think so? At, least. at that yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah, right. He becomes the Respect. second, He's the second most lead important. of six. Yeah. But you know, in five, which is the, the great sin of the fifth Harry Potter book, mm-hmm. Dumbledore's barely in it because Dumbledore spends the whole book not talking to Harry. Yeah. And then at the end, he's like, I'm sorry. I, I thought that was like a good idea because <laughs> I was trying to like not get Voldemort in your head or something. Right, Harry's like, right. you could have mentioned something. Yeah. He's like, I was busy reading a book four. I never finished <laughs> Goblet. So. There's always a, there's a lot of you could have with, with old Dumbledore. You right. Know? He always yeah. just marches in at the end. He's like, look, this is my plan this time. And, you know, so, so 50, 50. Yeah. Cedric's dead, but uh, Voldemort's back. Yeah. Uh, You're zero gay. hundred here. Sometimes. <laughs> You're gay. I'm, I don't know. Selectively. <laughs> um, a melancholy. Yeah. He's a melancholy man, yeah. Dumbledore. But I think he probably was able to pull down like a million because you, you deal, you know, he's replacing Richard Harris. I think people were upset at the time, you know, upset that the Headless Horseman had claimed Richard Harris, but also upset. Are you saying that when we all die, the Headless Horseman comes for us? Well, yeah, that's what happened to my grandma, Rosie, right? I thought she was, all right, whatever. My okay. parents recently told me the truth and they said, <laughs> now I understand that if a person you love goes on vacation for a long time, you never see their body, that. They are not, in fact, still alive, but that the Headless Horseman came for them. A Hessian mercenary for love and of podcast. And they were participants in like a great conspiracy that reaches back into yeah. the far reaches of America. Right. My grandma, Rosie, now lives in a tree. Right. Because, a weird, cool tree. Because of a real estate fight years ago. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> the podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. Sure. 
Theater. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes heads roll. Baby. Very good. Well played. Yeah. Uh, this is a series on the films of Tim Burton. Uh-huh. I won. <laughs> you could have glowed every time. Mm-hmm. I didn't resist. I would disagree. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, you didn't. We definitely didn't resist this miniseries that took us three and a half years to get to. We had other things to do. Yeah, things that I prioritized lower than this. Uh, it, of course, is called <laughs> Podward Scissorcast. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm just, this one's in your hands, the whole Burton caboodle. We're re- I, and I don't even, I'm happy we're doing it. Yeah, David's Skyping in. Um, <laughs> we're recording this one a while in advance. We're we're technically in the middle of our Nancys. Sure, we're um, doing some Nancys. We're very, doing them all. We have a very special guest today, and we wanted to get him in the studio while he was around. Right. Uh, so me saying Podward Scissorcast right now is me throwing down the gauntlet. Sure, that's the title. This is the first time we didn't even confirm it between the two of us. Eh. It sounded good. Yeah, this is what this whole miniseries is going to be. You going, if you want to do that, that's fun. <laughs> right. Sure. Go for it. Yeah. No, I think it's the obvious one. I, I looked at the titles and... Uh, Podcast know. Attacks, just this two. Right. You know, you know it's, it's like, a lot it's of... It's not specific enough to Tim Burton. You know, Podless and Wondercast. Miss Pod of Green's cast for this peculiar thing, He's also podcasts. done, you know, like he's done things like Charlie and Talk Factory, Alice in Wonderland, Miss Peregrine, where it's like Sweeney Todd. These are other properties. Yeah, right. This is my you argument. Know, it's not really a Burton right. thing. His titles have so many syllables, though. It feels like they would be, yes, you know, there's so true. many opportunities, but then they just don't feel right. They don't, not, you know, podcasts, big adventure, peewees, but, you know. That sounds like an IMDb trivia fact for Tim Burton is his film titles have many syllables. <laughs> People always add those kinds of things. Yep. Well, well for him. Uh, our guest today, a very exciting guest, is a, a filmmaker. Uh, he's directed films such as uh, A Ghost Story. Sure. Ain't the Body Saints. Sure. Heat's Dragon. Sure. And uh, The Old Man and the Gun, which will probably be... Which is a- old news at this point. Yeah. More like the old news in the gun. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> uh, David Lowry is here. It's a joy to be here. Thank you so yeah. much for being here. Ridiculous that you're here. Very Or that uh, you like this dumb s- silly thing we do. Yeah. S- six, like three months ago when I was building the frontal mandibles of the Lego Millennium Falcon right, and listening right, right. to the entirety of the Phantom podcast. And mm-hmm. You're the rare fan that we get these days who still is hooked with the Star Wars, the initial gambit. You know, often people jump on later. No, that was it. I mean, right. I was, it, it was, uh, you know, what I listened to while building my midlife crisis Lego set. <laughs> Well, okay, so I got a couple questions. Uh, first of all, David's right. I mean, it does seem to be these days people get into the new episodes, and then once they're deep in, then maybe like, they fuck. They, I'll go back to the Star the, Wars uh, stuff. Yeah. Um, the Millennium Falcon you were building. This was was this the the ultimate uh, yes. collector? Yeah, okay. yeah. So I can talk shop a little. Is that bit. the one you wanted to buy me? No, because okay. this was a thing. David had said he kind of wanted the Lego Millennium Falcon from Solo. Well, that's that set's no good, right? Which I, I, I wasn't specifically demand. I just saw it on sale and I was like, oh, look at this. You saw Already the, on sale. Like, you, they're just like, we got to get these things out of, <laughs> off the shelves. <laughs> no one wants them. You right. saw them announce it. Sure. You quoted the tweet with the announcement and said, I want it. Sure, sure. So then I said, because I'm trying to uh, poison uh, David. Yeah, you just want me to own toys. It's yes. like some weird poetic triumph for you if I do. Correct. Okay. I knew it was uh, that set was being released right around his birthday. So I was like, I will buy that for you. 
And then Joanna, David's girlfriend. Sitting next to me, I believe, at the time during all of this. Right. Sees the ping on the phone and was right. like, absolutely not. Right. No way. It was one of those things, I think, where my phone was lighting up so much that she was like, what's, what's happening right now? And I was like, uh, Griffin's like doing this joke where he's going to buy me this Lego Millennium Falcon. Not a joke. It was a very expensive show of friendship. It's like 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I mean, he's not going to do it. And and she's like, yeah, I don't want him. I to. sent over a list of stipulations right. that I would gladly buy for him, have it shipped to his home. Right. As long as it was fully constructed. Sure. Which not, would be the part point. That's not what I'd want to do. thrown out by Joanna at any point in time. She wouldn't throw it out. And was placed in a position right. of display within the home for one <laughs> calendar year. Now, I said I, it could be any place. Exactly. She could pick the place. And I immediately said to her, well, it could go. And I you know mentioned a place in my apartment that is not prominent like a blind spot yeah it wouldn't be a, a big thing sure like it wouldn't really take a, and and she was just like no we're not doing no absolutely not and then it became an enjoyable discussion between the two of us my wife is like adamant that i do not take my legos out of the office like yeah, they, sure. have they to stay, stay there, there. they have to stay right. there so like my my friend derek simon who writes for supergirl his wife is it's the same deal same dynamic sure. right he has to get stuff shipped to his office um, See, I don't buy toys. I just buy Blu-rays. That's my vice. Right. And so I have a lot of Blu-rays. Yes. And those are tolerated, obviously. But like, you know, that that's my only vice. But can we can we say my workaround for the birthday present? Because also, a soul hadn't come out yet. And I was like, I don't want him to see the movie. Not like that right. Millennium Falcon as much. Commit that money. And then Joanna might throw it out anyway. Well, I figured the set, though, isn't it just the Millennium Falcon plus that extra bit? And if you don't want to do the extra bit, you don't have to. The colors are different, the interesting thing when you get the ultimate masters mm-hmm. collection edition or whatever it's called is that they go the book which is like 600 pages and this was literally like the biggest set they had ever yeah produced right and it in has a history a history of the millennium falcon lego sets which is fascinating yeah they've been so like every year they have a new one yeah and this is this year's model it's also okay. crazy to look at how rudimentary the first couple were because they yeah. kind of just look like a disc with two pieces on them <laughs> exactly really? um yeah yeah you'd like go back and look at the early star wars lego sets and you're like oh that was like six blocks and it kind of huh. looked like a TIE fighter. Right. Um, the last thing I'm going to say on the subject is my workaround, which I was very proud of, and I can talk about now because it finally uh, arrived in your mailbox. It did. It took forever. I knew. So goes Joanna, so goes the, the house. Right. I bought for each of you an action figure of your favorite character in the history of movies. Sure. I mean, fa- one of... Number one favorite character oh, okay. in the history of movies. Sure. One so, of my favorite characters. So I got Joanna, Tom Hiddleston, Loki. You asked who Joanna's favorite Marvel character was. I knew she was a Marvel zombie. Yes. And, and I asked her and she said, well, it's Loki or Captain America. And I was like, I think you're more of a Captain America, but your favorite character is Loki. Yeah. And she was like, I think you're right. So, so I got her a Loki. And yeah, then we have months later, because it was back order. Right. And so this is the thing. The Loki arrives first. The, the penance offering comes. <laughs> right. She but was without like, the actual yeah. thing that is, it's designed to be sort of salve for. You right. Know, like, right. Yeah. But which gave, I mean, it was not planned. This but original money of fucking looks really bad. Right. Yeah, that's exactly. what I'm saying. Wrong. Right? It looks like a Battlestar Galactica shit. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't look like anything no right. it looks like a like the early cgi renderings from like last starfighter <laughs> exactly. where they couldn't really afford to have too many angles <laughs> yeah. on the ship yeah right uh and then i bought you your favorite movie character of all time i do love him i you know i love him admiral piet admiral, admiral piet from piet empire strikes back the man caught in the in the bureaucracy of the empire and i'm very happy that if you google his name 
Entry, the first result is David Sims' action no, figure. Entry one is the Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Entry two is the Wikipedia, and then entry three is the article I wrote about him. So you know, uh, I, I'm I'm number three. That's fantastic. Yeah, my favorite my favorite Star Wars character. <laughs> I love him so much. Uh, so this has been episode one of Toy Boys. Tune in next week. <laughs> so are you a toy boy or is it just Star Wars Lego? I used to be, and you know, I think the last action figure I bought was probably this ties into the series is the Edward Scissorhands figure from McFarland sure, toys. Sure. Yeah. And it was a right around that time that I, I had a bunch of McFarland toys. And this was a gentleman's figure, David. I mean, really high class stuff. Yeah. And after that, I stopped, I ceased to purchase uh-huh. action figures and every now and then I'll see something that I want and I think maybe I'll get that, but then I don't, I've stopped acquiring quite so many material possessions mm-hmm. and, but I do still buy uh, certain Blu-rays and now Lego kits. So yeah. yeah. I will say I've seen a, a growing resurgence, especially among uh, filmmakers, getting into Lego. I think there's something very therapeutic about like that's definitely what it's become yeah, for me because now right. I I keep buying them. I've, right. I've followed up Millennium Falcon with uh, Boba Fett's ship. Right. It's like the process um, of doing it. I think is very satisfying for people in between creative jobs that drive them crazy to be like, I'm just going to sit here meticulously build a thing. I know how it has to end up looking. And there's like a vague hint of nostalgia yeah. tied into that that is satisfying. Yes. So this has been episode two of Toy Boys. <laughs> so uh, so you're a prequel fan or? I enjoy I, like, it's, I enjoy, it's I enjoy sort of the lore. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, And I, um, without, we could, we could, we when, want to break down the prequels again, we could start right now. Yeah, like sure. the first 10 minutes of Phantom Menace. Uh, featuring uh, Silas Carson, mm-hmm. who I, I felt you gave short thrift to wow. in your performance review. I think, yes, he was not good as the Nemoidian, but yeah, I think as Kia Diamundi, he's great. And that as is a great pilot. That is, yeah. And also, retroactively, his performance has gotten much better now that I've seen him in Phantom Thread giving an excellent performance he's as the, the that, one scene. that one scene he's so good in. And that just, I was like, that's now I like he's him even more. about like business interests. Yes, exactly. Like that, and he's like, why would I need her Jews. money? I have my own. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And he's weirdly wearing the Kaiadi Mundi forehead. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> that she's getting married to Kaiadi Mundi right. within Phantom Thread. That's yes. canon. Yeah. Yes. Um, no, it, it is odd. I do find that uh, I have to design a, a Jedi gown. Like I, I'm trying to imagine <laughs> Mark Bridges just like throwing up his hands in despair at trying to marry these two worlds. Queen Amidala is getting married again. That's why he the got that jet ski at the Oscars because right. uh, he really just went to bat for that. But. How how long do you think we have to wait until like a filmmaker in their like publicity tour says that the film is inspired by Phantom Menace? That we get to a point where it's like, you know, I was trying to kind of... Not long. Right? I think not it's going to happen yeah. soon enough. Whether or not they're like fans, just the notion of like, I think the... It's ingrained it in has, a certain right. like generational DNA at this point. Right. And because all this like the dumb, like the, the levels to which we know all of this shit. For movies we don't ostensibly like, you know? Right. <laughs> it's, it's sort of like American history now at this point. Where it's just like yeah. this thing where everyone has the working base of like... The, the elements, even if you don't really care. And we might be the last generation that kind of like doesn't like them. Right. Because kids love them. Yes. And kids do love yeah. them. And I guess, right, yeah. at a certain point, if you grew up with it, yeah. what, what, and, there would be no lingering. I also think all the new Disney Lucas stuff has sort of worked to retroactively make those films a little more important between Rebels and Clone Wars. And, yeah, uh, there's been, I, I feel, feel like, like some, if you were to read the storybooks of yes. the prequels and then watch the series, you'd have like this glowing appreciation yeah. for that lore. Yes. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, There's lore. The lore is good. Like the lore is good. Right. I mean, I've always said those movies make good lore. pretty good, good lore. Wikipedia entries. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Some of those Wikipedia entries are are hot stuff. Yeah. No, but I do I do look back at some of the performance review things and I'm like, that person got a pass. That person got a fail. And I think there's an element of like when we were watching them every fucking week, like sometimes the movie would just hit you a different yeah. way. Yeah. You know? I can see that. You get caught up on a thing. And then the other thing was that we were we were, you know, uh, uh, sans context, uh, yeah. no bits, but we were right. pretending they existed in a vacuum. And that definitely changed like the way I judged things. Sure. If we were following that, the that idea. thought experiment. Right. The idea right. was let's not bring the anger one might have as a fan of the originals right. or whatever. Like, you know. But but this movie that we're talking about today comes out the same year and is part of Ray Park's humongous year, his Hollywood takeover. That's true. Where it's he cannot stop swinging things. In well, big then, studio and he uh, brings his buddy Ian McDiarmid along for the ride. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. And I believe this was shot at Shepherd and so maybe you know it was immediately shot in the same Immedi- universe. It was, it was like shot same, immediately. Like the it sets was like, of the Nabu Palace were coming yeah. down, and right, you know, and they were just like Ian, up. just just hang out. We're gonna yes. give you a powdered wig thing. Yeah, but yeah. Just they literally pushed back production so they could wait for uh, Star Wars to vacate the studios. And take That's over. Crazy. And McDermott was like, I rolled into one after the other. And he, in interviews, said, like, it was kind of great to be back in, like, a very physical, visceral world mm-hmm. after doing Phantom Menace, where it makes your life so much easier if there are things to react to. Sure. And you're like, God, what a, like, ominous 1999 quote. <laughs> Not knowing that, like, the entire industry get, is right. going to go the way of Phantom Menace. And Phantom Menace is the only one that even has, like, 20% physical sets. I know. That had sets, right? Right. Like you a know? lot of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he, even at the time, was like frustrated from doing Phantom Menace and was like, it was great to be on a set where I could be scared of the thing that a person had built. You and know? just like with all of his friends. Like yeah. all of these titans of like the, right. the British theater scene were all just hanging out <laughs> in that one room together. Murderers were yeah. of like Griffiths, Gough. Well, this is my favorite thing about this movie is that, right, rather than preying on co-eds or preteens or what, right. you know, like, uh, the headless horseman is going after British character actors. Right. And then, <laughs> like, they're all on his and list. Convicted sex offender Jeffrey Jones. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about Jeffrey Jones in prior episodes, I assume. Yeah. We'll have a six part miniseries within the no. miniseries on no, Jeffrey do you think? Do you think he will be in Deadwood, the movie? I think he cannot. I, I think that's what I assume. Yeah. He has not worked. He's in, no, he's so, in it. But he, he was is? Because he was in the, the whole issue occurred this is prior late. to Deadwood. And so he was cast in the It, it was mid-Deadwood, because I remember his mugshot it has him with Deadwood facial hair, which was really, really unfortunate for uh, everyone. Well, it was 2002 is uh-huh. when he was arrested, so it's post-Sleepy Hollow. Right. Um, yes, he was arrested for soliciting a 14-year-old boy to pose for a nude photograph. He pleaded no contest. He was, uh, the charge was dropped, so he wasn't actually convicted. Uh, and uh, he, uh, we'll he give was, it my official he's a registered sex offender. No good, very bad, don't do it. I agreed, yes. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, he hasn't worked much since then. You, Who's you your caddy? Right. Was that his last film? Who's your caddy? How do you know that? What do you mean, how do I know that? What other currency do I have in this society? Can you tell me who the, the lead in Who's Your Caddy was? Wasn't Fizz on Love, was it? No, he's in it, though. He plays a character called Big, Big Large. <laughs> the lead in Who's Your Caddy? Ooh, I like that character. Okay, wait, wait. wait. The Big lead? and large, right. Yeah. yeah, I think he might have been the Dangerfield type, and I think Jeffrey Jones was sort of the Ted Knight. Who's Your Caddy the lead? Was he a comedic actor, or was he sort of a more of a straight, was he kind of the Michael O'Keefe of the picture? Now he's a musician. 
He's a musician. Yeah. A singer or a rapper? Yeah. A rapper. He's a rapper. Who has acted a little, but not someone I think of as like a... It's not, not Bow like, Wow, is it? No, but uh, I think... No, Bow Wow. No, not Bow Wow. Is he Lil? No, he's big. Does he have big in the name? Yeah. Big. This is taking too long. He's yeah. <laughs> from a southern... Oh, uh, Big Boy. Big Boy. Yeah. Big Boy was the lead of Who's Your Caddy? Yep. Uh, this summer, it's The Street versus The Elite. I've never heard of this movie. I don't know what this is. This was in the run of like, in the way, like Soul Plane is to Airplane as Who's Your Caddy is to Caddy Chat, where it's like an unofficial remake. I see. I, I see. I, right. And that, that does seem like, because it's a country club. It's a golf movie. Right. Right. All right. Well, I just remember Jeffrey Jones being all over the trailers and being like, we're still doing this. <laughs> anyway. Let's get back on track. I can't yes. even remember what the track was. Sleepy, but I get Sleepy Hollow. Hollow. Right. It's a it's a uh, damp, dusky track where only sure. a carriage can pass. A leafy track. Yes. A lot of leaves. Lots of painted clouds in the background. Yeah. So this movie comes out of the fallout of uh, Superman Lives. It's like, I mean, I was trying to look at the timeline and Superman Lives was like, he always talks about being a year yeah. of his life. So that must have started prior to Mars Attacks coming out. I think they were kind of concurrent because he was still at Warner Brothers. Yeah. He had mostly done Warner's films until that point, And Mars Attack certainly was. They were developing them at the same time. I think it was going with post-production and press and all of that with Mars Attacks. And he jumps onto this, I think, about a month or two after Superman collapses. Yes. I think yeah, he very, very badly wanted to make a movie. Right. Have Superman. you watched the documentary about the death of Superman? Yes. Uh, it is fascinating. It I need to watch it. It's like, like the footage. It. The footage of them just doing the costume tests is worth the price of the rental. It's just yeah. really everyone's excited about it. Everyone like t- looks back on it as a missed opportunity, and and yet at the same time, I'm just like really glad that that movie did not happen, and that this movie happened. The Sleepy Hollow happened instead. Yes, I mean, yes. I, I think it's a far more interesting movie to think about. Superman Lives than it probably would have been to watch, and I think he would have been destroyed for it. Like, even if, like, nerds like us 20 years later appreciated it, I think the the general community would have hated that fucking movie. And especially coming off of Mars Attacks, which was a profound disappointment. Right. It would have put him, well, who knows what would have happened, but, you know, we might have not gotten the Sleepy Hollow or the, well, we'll talk about where he goes from Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. But But no, but this definitely feels like a direct response to Sleepy Hollow in the sense that it it is. You mean to Superman no, I'm saying, I'm, I'm sorry, saying, to Mars Attacks, to Mars okay, Attacks, uh, in how straight-laced it is. It does feel like this and Sweeney Todd are the two most straightforward. I mean, he's never made a movie that is uh, totally devoid of humor. No, sure, but no, I know what you're saying. He, it's like He's like, I want to make a horror movie. I never made a horror I movie. I want to make a real horror kind movie. Of upsetting, right. But also visceral. digging into his aesthetic, which like, yes. right around this point was like developing into the Tim Burton aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Like he's always had, you know, the, the what, it, you know, the, the goth side of him and then yes. the kitsch side. Those are like the two right. things that define Tim Burton. The goth side usually wins out. Right. So after Mars Attacks, he's like, let's go back to the, the, the things that people like about my films. Right. And as a result, like now that's what we think of when we think of the Tim Burton aesthetic. Yes. Is, and, is the Sleepy Hollow look. And this movie, this is going to be a running thing in this miniseries. It's probably going to drive you crazy. Uh-oh. But I do think there are separate, different subcategories within the Tim Burton aesthetic. Sure, yes. And this one is fascinating because it's kind of, uh, 
isolated in of itself of being completely devoid of any kitsch, but also that sort of humor and the sort of, it certainly stylized this film, right? Yes, but, quite stylized. But I think in this film, he's sort of reverse engineering like, okay, let me take my Tim Burton drawings and try to reproduce them in reality as much as possible in a more organic way mm-hmm. rather than uh, something like Sweeney Todd where it's trying to make it look like a cartoon to a certain extent. A little bit. A little more theatrical, you it's know? not Sweeney Todd. Uh, Sweeney Todd might have been Darius Kanji. Or... Yeah, that was a, it was a heavy hitter on that one. Yes. Who he's only worked with once. Like Lubeski on this film. Yes. It might be Dante Spinati. Am I correct? No, it's Darius Volsky. Okay. Volsky. Was Volsky. Darius. Yeah. Um, th- this is, I mean, maybe just his most purely beautiful looking Such a gorgeous movie. Film. It really is. And there's something too, he also said that he wanted to try to make a, uh, a mostly practical film. I think right. after Mars Attacks, where it had been right. so CGI, Superman was going to be so CGI. I think he could see that's the way the industry was going. It's just, you know, go on, finish your thought. No, it's just such a fucking tactile movie. Yes, it's just funny that you guys are talking about this to think about, right, like rather than blow his career on Superman, right. he goes and makes a, a sleepy hollow R-rated horror movie that's a huge hit. Like, yeah. you know, that, like that his weird movie turns out to be like the safe play. Yes. Like, whatever. And a really bizarre thing to think about now is this was at the time the first and only Johnny Depp movie to make $100 million. Right. Like they were like, this is the first time he's actually led a fully successful film. And this, like also, run. this was also, I remember distinctly being so excited when Johnny Depp got this part because it yeah. felt like the underdog succeeding at that point. Yeah. You're right. like, you know, all right, they're back together again for the third time. Well, and and it was like, okay, so they do like, Johnny Depp's clearly his favorite guy. They do the passion projects, you know? Sure, but right. They hadn't worked together since Ed Wood, right? Yes. Yes. yes, yes. This was the third one at this mm-hmm. point. And they were going to have, I think like, it was like a bake off between two potential Abraham Lincolns. Uh, it was like Daniel Day-Lewis was like up for this part. Uh-huh. And, and, Neeson, and Liam Neeson right? was yeah. up for this part. And Brad part. Pitt was the other person the studio wanted. I mean, it, that's... But the, those guys just passed, right? I mean, like, I yes. know the studio like demanded like meet with the... I assume that those guys were just like, I'm not going to do this. I also I, maybe not, would maybe. imagine Burton tried his hardest to torpedo. To dissuade them. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, he wanted them to settle on Depp, which is a weird thing to think about now. But there was such a notion at the time of like, well, if you're making a period film, it's got to be Neeson or Dade Lewis. <laughs> and they seemed more bankable at the time because Certainly. they had been doing fucking historical epics and shit. Can you tell me Johnny Depp's prior, excluding Platoon, which yeah. doesn't really count, uh, his prior highest grossing film before this? Nightmare on Elm Street? No. Not Scissorhands? No. Uh, oh, it is Scissorhands. I take it back. You. It is Scissorhands. Sorry. Yeah, that's us. What did you Juan think it was? Nebraska. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which made some money. Right. And Scissorhands was a hit, but it wasn't yeah. like a blockbuster. No, it did very well. Right. And the Burton films that had been really big at this time were were mostly Keaton movies. Batman movies. Right. I'd call them Batman And, Be- and Beetlejuice oh, outgrossed, sure. you know, the, the Depp films. Right. Um, you know, and when Depp was doing action movies, they were like real fucking programmers like Nick of Time. You know? John Badham, Nick of Time, yeah. Yeah, you know, things that were just kind of like solid doubles. He had the astronaut's wife like right before this. Right. Mm-hmm. Ninth Gate right before this. It was like uh, a lot of like thrillers yeah, like that. You know, a, you know, um, there's another obvious one. Oh, well, no, not really. Actually, I mean, Benny and June uh, and Don Juan DeMarco. Those are his other. And then Dead Man, which 
it rules, but right. obviously made no money. And then Fear and Loathing, he had done the year before this. But you can kind of divide yeah. it into like clear passion projects for him right. with and directors where he gets to be kind of kookier. He doesn't do a lot of paycheck movies, though. No, yeah. but but he does have these now, kind of, now he he does have specializes this run in paycheck of, movies. of sort of program thrillers. Yeah. yeah. Like Astronauts Rife and stuff like that. Where, where he's he was, sort of trying to hit like he's like, I, I, I need to be the movie star that can get these Tim Burton movies off right, the ground. Exactly. So he's like I, taking these right. roles that hopefully, but they just never click. Yes. And, and he's playing them very fucking straight. You know, but his legacy at this time, I mean, the excitement around him is when he goes into his weird directions. And I think this was a victory for everyone that it was like, okay, he's doing that in a big blockbuster that is successful and he's not playing rote. He's not tampering down his thing. Watching it now, I was surprised by how relatively restrained he is. Because mm-hmm. you watch it and imagine what this performance would he be He doesn't like wear a single hat in this today. Movie. No hats. I mean... It's like a parody of fucking Johnny Depp. But the thing I read is that he really wanted to wear prosthetics. He right. wanted to look like the cartoon character from the Correct. Disney. Right. So he, he wanted, wanted to be all like sort of hook a nose. A cartoonishly and, long yeah. nose and long fingers and like big ears and an Adam's apple and shit. You looked like the BFG. Right. And they were like, we're not paying you to not look like Johnny Depp. <laughs> right. You yeah, fucking you, moron. You we're already a little mad that you look like Johnny Depp. <laughs> right. We're gonna, yeah. Right. But that was the, like he would be able to get on these lists because he was so fucking handsome and everyone agreed he was like a compelling screen presence. But when he went weird, it never worked for box office. And then sure. Parts of the Caribbean was the thing that changed it. But I also think this movie holds a very specific place as the last film where Burton had to fight for Depp rather than a movie that's getting made because Depp wanted to work with Burton again. Precisely. When, when was the first Pirates movie? Was that 2001? 2003. Three. Okay. Yeah. So a couple years away still. Yes. Yeah, because after this with the Deppster. Oh, because he does From Hell, which is a weird mm-hmm. imitation of what he's doing yeah, here. But that's completely played straight. He does Blow. Uh, he right. He does chocolate. Let's not forget chocolate. He takes out that Spanish guitar. Yeah, eats some chocolate. Wait, that was the same year as this. That's two thousand. Okay, the year after. Uh, before Night Falls, which he's actually good in. Not yeah. a big role. Uh, the two, man, two small roles. The man in that, who right? cried, which is a bonkers. The Sally Potter movie. Um, I've never seen that. Yeah. Then blowing from hell, and then he takes a year off, and then he, you know, he's got that two one two uh, once upon a time in Mexico and Pirates of the Caribbean in yeah. two thousand three, uh, which he's like so. Uh, wonderful in those movies both of those movies right and it it was just fucking bizarre because it was like Johnny Depp has now become like a colossal megastar doing full Depp weirdness and it was felt like such a victory it felt like a a true triumph as a Depp fan at that point just to feel like everyone finally gets what I've known for so long that's the thing that's really hard to sort of like keep in mind now existing in the present day right is at the time it felt like a fucking revolution yeah It was like, movies are going to get weirder now. Like, he beat the system. He snuck in from the inside. He won this battle. He got an Oscar nomination. Everything about it was fucking insane. Yeah. And you hear, like, the list of all the people they wanted to play that part, you know? Like, I think McConaughey was their first choice. I believe you're right, yes. Because they were so hot on Rain of Fire. Yes, the Gorvin. A a pod for Castness. Yeah, but um, it, it was like this time that was... The thing I equated to, and it didn't have the same level of cultural impact, but I remember being so fucking excited. David's about to scoff really hard when Taylor Hicks won American Idol. I gotta say, I did not imagine you were about to say that. I know. 
Wow. Because he okay. was like the least the, the, fucking cool dad singer in the world. Right. He sucked. He was like spazzy. I mean, he had gray of. hair. I don't, I don't even. I can't even weigh in on Taylor Hicks. He was like I was a not pretty good American like Idol. vocal like soul singer. But it was like there's no way what, the for Soul Patrol was soul that Patrol. his fan base. Yeah. Okay. The thing was he was so dorky, and there yeah. was no way for him to fit into the pop culture landscape. Right. Where I was like, he might have broken this show because this show can't make him a Kelly Clarkson. And what happened was he just didn't have any career. But I remember being excited that he had like snuck into the system. And I was like, what are they going to have him do? Do an album of standards now? And instead people wrote like bad fucking pop ballads for him. And he like had his fucking contract drop. Right. But the depth thing actually like seemed to be working but, for like, a little while. Taylor Hicks was like a 10 percenter. I'm trying to find the uh, best expression of what he was. But he was like, some people loved him. Uh-huh. Everyone else just had no opinion and was not interested. But one, which was insane. Yeah, but that was because he had a devoted fan base, the which Soul is hard Patrol, to... Uh, which I consider myself a member. I, I'm sorry, not a member, an officer. Do you Go watch on. American Idol? I never watched I, I have American zoned out. I yeah. That was the yeah. one season I watched because I would always find the weird guy in the first couple of episodes to be like, this guy's great, and then he would get eliminated week two and I'd be done. And the Taylor Hicks thing was like, how the fuck is he winning from like 12-year-olds? I, I, I really can't... I didn't even I didn't even live in the country when he won. I vaguely remember his. Uh, I, I lived Where in England. I lived in England. Where Sleepy know. Hollow was shot. Standing Where Sleepy Hollow was shot. Ben, get yes. the cards out. Yellow card. It's not a yellow card. It is we'll a yellow talk card. About it is. Look at the card. It's yellow. Anyway, go on. Um. The depth go on the, what? The depth I, I know what I'm talking about. Like Taylor a Hicks. victory. Yes. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, and this yeah. was sort of the first step. To that. Yes. It, it's kind of the bridge to him being able to pull off pirates. It's like he can work in a massive film. He can go weird. It can still connect with audiences. That was sort of the, you know, the thing he talked about the most with his performance was like, I wanted to play this part as a 13 year old girl. And he talked about right. that a lot. His thing at the time was always like, I, I would pick a couple figures in pop culture and combine them for the performance. And he said his big influence for this one was uh, Angela Lansbury. <laughs> which totally fit. Yeah, it right. works. And at the time, like yeah, for yeah. for like you know the people who were like rooting for Depp, like you and I, uh, at a time where it was still uh, respectable to root for Depp, uh, it was like, oh, oh f- fucking cool! Like he got this through, and it felt like he was kind of deconstructing the usually bland leading man in this type of movie. Well, not just that, right? The he's deconstructing like the vain detective, you know, the right, the, you know. Uh, tough guy detective the csi you know 1894 or whenever this movie takes place right Right. and he's the one or he's figuring out what a jerk sherlock holmes is before like the premise sherlock holmes is a jerk becomes like the basis of hit tv shows that's the crazy thing is watching it now this performance is so much it feels so much less aversive than i remember because now this is kind of the way that leading men act in blockbusters where they're kind of winky yeah and they're like i shouldn't be here Right, right you know and they're cutting everything with humor um, I mean, this is like the Marvel archetype, not not the cowardice, but this relationship between the sort of seriousness the, of the people around the self-deprecating quality of Correct. the performance, not of the character, but of the right. performance right. is something that that stands to this day. Marvel usually does that more in the Bill Murray way where it's like, I'm going to comment on how straight laced everyone else around me is. And sure. he's doing it by being less brave and, you know, sort of conventional than everyone else around him. But it's the same sort of like reactive, you know, subversive sort of thing. Right, right, right. Um, and now it just feels like, oh, that's like weird that Depp was ever this not mannered. Yeah, I, that's, 
It's also, he's not a weird gravel voice kind of demon man, which right. he's sort of become. Like, anytime yes. he pops up now. How old was he when he made this? That's a good question. So, he's mid 30s. Christina Ricci is fucking 19 in this movie. Is she? Which is nuts Crazy. and creepy. Yeah, he's like 35. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he's really, he has been around. It's not like, because, yeah, he's 55 now. But he's the kind of movie star that existed when there was still a Older. middle class of studio films. Where it was like, okay. this was an expensive movie. No, I'm yeah. saying what this is it? what, what broke like, that. It, the budget is listed as anywhere between 70 and 100 okay. million dollars, which is a lot, yes. especially in 99. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying this is what broke that because up until that point, he had succeeded making like 20 to 40 million dollar movies. Yeah. At a studio level, he was big enough to get those green yeah, lit. Keep kicking those parts. He had a turn investment. He was handsome enough that people always were like, well, yeah, Depp, obviously, you know? I mean, um, Pitt was kind of in the same zone where Pitt wasn't consistently successful, but he was handsome enough. Right, you're talking enough. about uh, the, the the 90s hotties. The like, 90s hotties. Know, they, that's who they were, the right? Tiger Beats. Yeah. 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 Right, the cheekbone boys. Was he ever the sexiest man alive? He must have been. I think he probably was after Pirates, which is weird. No, I mean... I think he never was. Really? I, I worked at People Magazine one year when I think he was still being floated. And, uh, you know, like, I think he would never agree. You know, you ha- they have to agree to do it. Oh, to do the photo shoot. Yeah. And I think he, they could never entice him. That was the other thing about him at the time, which, like, I, I feel like you and I probably just ate up with, like, a fucking uh, No, he uh, did ladle. do it. I take it back. Thank you. Yeah. What yeah. year? What year? Oh, three. So, Pirates. Pirates. After Pirates. Yeah. Uh, he, at the time, played the, oh, God, I hate being a movie star thing. Right. In a way that made him seem cool. I think now seems very effective. But like him fucking inside the actor's now, now rolling. Effective you mean affected? Affected. Okay, yeah, yeah. In a way that feels kind not of effective. disingenuous. Right, right. It feels very ineffective now. But like him on inside the actor's studio, like wearing his sunglasses, hand rolling cigarettes, being like, I don't even know. I mean, what makes right, me different he, than a potter? He like lived on or his baker. You know, right. he was like, he's in France. He's not part of the machine. Right. His no. Tattoo says wino forever. I mean, that all that shit, you know, yeah. which at the time was so romantic because he seemed like a rebel against the studio system. And then he becomes the guy who epitomizes like Hollywood excess and bloat. He also, I remember right. just thinking like, Surely Johnny Depp's not a millionaire. Like his movies don't make any money. You don't right. think about him in terms of paychecks at that right. point right. at all. This man will never be able to afford an entire French village. Yes. <laughs> that is staffed year round whether or not he's living there. I know he's really like, it's the Michael Jackson territory. Like he's in that weird and sort Brando. of like, yeah, well, his, his yeah. idol. Right. Right. But Brando was the guy who's like, make the big movies by an island. Like apparently whispered to him like, you could own a sawmill. You while, know, like, while cameras were rolling on Don Juan DeMarco. Yeah, yeah. It's got traffic lights. Adopt the highway. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's good civics. <laughs> it's good for, good for the environment. It is crazy. Do you that- think he ever went to that weird like island where like Marlon Brando lived lived and wore like a Dr. Evil outfit have. or whatever? Yeah. Do I think Depp ever went there? Yeah. Like, he 100%. hung out there like eight months out of the year. Yeah. <laughs> Until he had his own weird island where he now dresses up like Marlon Brando. Do you think he ever had... Like say you're like a charter plane guy, uh-huh. and one day you get the call, and it's like you gotta you gotta go to Brando's Creepy Island, and like there's all these rules, like you know, yeah. Once you land, put on a blindfold. Right. <laughs> like like what? You have to like dress to- up the plane like a car. <laughs> <laughs> you have to keep on saying we just pulled in. Where can I park? He's actually afraid of airplanes, so you can't <laughs> yeah, mention right. them. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Has to either be a dragon or a car. It's so weird. And now there's like a resort there. Did you guys know this? Brando's Island? Mm-hmm. 
Because when he died, he left no instructions on what to do with the island he owned. Yeah. So it was like given to like this hotel chain that operates like Polynesian resorts. Now you can go to the Brando. I wish it was just like a Holiday Inn. (laughs) It's got to be Motel 6. (laughs) I'm going to make him out for a kid. Put a red roof on it. Okay. Sleepy Hollow. Complimentary breakfast. Uh. Kevin Yeager. Yes. We got to talk about Kevin Yeager. This is like the best bit of origin story. Yeah, I love it. It's so bizarre. Fucking awesome. The guy who invented the two wrinkliest horror villains, mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger and the Crypt Keeper. Mm-hmm. Like the Crypt Keeper is him being like, what about like even <laughs> really wrinklier? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. The king of crevices, they called him. Um, that probably was an actual line he used to refer to himself. I'm the king of crevices. I'm the king of crevices. In Hollywood, I'm something of a king of crevices. You I know want- we've, we've taken a lot of sidetracks here, but can I list my one piece of trivia about Please. my own films that you I'm most excited about? Us on sidetrack. Yes. The voice of Elliot in Pete's Dragon is the Crypt Keeper. Really? really? And oh, what's his name? I John know Kassir. His- yes. And I cast him because I love the Crypt Keeper. That fucking rules. Also, he's really good at doing animal voices. Yeah. He, you know, he did the raccoon in Pocahontas. Yeah. Uh, among others. And What's he like up to these days? Because the Crypt Keeper... He does a lot of uh, like cartoons and animation and video games and anything that requires voice acting. He's like... Because we were needed... We needed a voice actor and he was like one of the top three that, you know, an agency sent us. And you know, us. now yeah. that you've said that, it does make sense that there's that scene where Elliot inexplicably addresses the citizens of the town as boils and ghouls. We had to cut a lot of puns out. <laughs> Do you remember when the Crypt Keeper, Crypt Keeper had like a Saturday morning game show that was like Legends of the Hidden Temple? And it was kids had to like survive obstacle course mazes in a mansion. No. So there were kids in like color coded t-shirts who were like teams and the Crypt Keeper would just talk to them and be like, for your next challenge, you must retrieve six rings. But there was that brief period where they tried to turn the Crypt Keeper into a Saturday morning cartoon. Correct. They w- and and they, ha- they made an action figure of the Saturday morning cartoon yes. version. Where of- they got rid of a lot of the crevices. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> they a very, lot rounder. Very shiny Crypt Keeper. Yes. And I had that action figure because I was obsessed with Tales from the Crypt. And then there was also the Tales from the Crypt Christmas record. Yes. Which was delightful. This was the tail end of that period like this was the logical end point is like now Game show. the Crypt Keeper is Chuck Woolery and he tells kids how to win like a fucking Toshiba boombox why did they go I guess you loved him so there's the evidence but like yeah. I, I was freaked out by I the was Crypt terrified by he scared me my parents had to like whenever it came on the TV go like he's supposed to be funny he's making jokes yeah I'm like that's no joke I know <laughs> <laughs> you know and uh my friend, I had a friend who had a poster for Demon Knight, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Good on, poster. It's a good It's, it's a, a cool poster. poster. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that freaked me out. But I would like also look at it all the time. And I didn't like get. That was the thing about Tales from the Crypt for me as like an eight or nine year old. Was It was the yeah. thing. Yeah. It was yeah. the thing that Great poster. scared me. Cool I wanted to look at it all the time. Yeah. Right. It had right, right, right. really scary things. It had violence and it had lots of nudity. It was all things that I like, was about to be far more interested in. But at that age. I really wanted to like dig in a little further. And it was also like the the uncanny valley aspect of it being an animatronic rather than a guy in makeup yeah. made it very otherworldly. Right. And whereas, Actually like, scarier right, for if that age. You got freaked out by like the picture of Freddy Krueger in a video store box. Your parents would be like, it's a guy in makeup. Right. But you'd see the Crypt Keeper and you'd be like, that's not a human being. Yeah. I don't understand what's going on here. This be witchcraft. It was. Kevin Yeager's great witchcraft. So special effects designer, makeup Ke- designer. Kevin Yeager teams up with 
Andrew Kevin Walker. Walker. Who at this point, seven is just a speck that's gotten buzz. Yeah, because I think this is 93. So Andrew Kevin Walker has written uh, nothing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, he's going to write Brain Scan uh, with um, Edward Furlong, Frank Langella. Mm-hmm. I saw that at a Dismember the Alamo Marathon a year or two ago. Seems like the spot to yep. see it. Is it good? I've never seen it. It was interesting. Okay. Long and Lang? It was enjoyable. It was very enjoyable. Hmm? Long and Lang? Furlong, Langella? <laughs> Exactly. Classic Long Kima. and Lang? Yes. I thought you were talking about Shelley Long and Stephen Lang. Well, oh, that's uh, my film I'm pitching tomorrow. Don't take it from me. Okay. And then Hideaway uh, with Goldblum, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, which I've also never seen. And then Seven and Event Horizon and the game. He was like, God, he really was cooking in the he 90s. He was really cooking. And then he makes The Wolfman. Like he, oh, he's just of- a script doctor on Event Horizon in the game. I take it back. Okay. He's a famous script doctor, I yes. feel like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At this point, he was like a spec script guy and like a punch up, like script doctor guy. And I think he's mm-hmm. done work on like most of Fincher's movies in the nineties. Like, yes. you know, he yes. definitely did Fight like, Club. He Fight Club definitely worked Zodiac. on. And I think Panic Room he worked on. Uh, maybe he's like has like a cameo. In Seven was just so clearly like a calling card script. Yeah. Um, Kevin Yeager wants to make the jump to directing. Sure, and he got in like he struck while the iron was hot. He was like, "This, right. this is the guy to uh, <laughs> yeah." To, Find my directorial debut with. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, it was a good introduction. But then it wasn't his directorial debut. Right. No, this is the thing. He So they, I guess they, they work up a treatment where they have the idea of Ichabod Crane as detective. Right. right? It's a murder mystery now. It's um, not just him being pursued. Right. And But he wants it, I guess, to be like a schlocky horror movie yeah. with like really spectacular That was his thing. It's like, it's a big special effects showcase in terms of practical makeup effects. And he was like, there's going to be beheading Every 10 minutes. Like, it's going to be a nonstop thrill ride. That was his big pitch. A beheading every 10 minutes. <laughs> right. And uh, I guess it just never goes anywhere. Well, they well, caught into it. They sold it to Scott Rudin because Rudin had been a fan of uh, Andrew Kevin Walker from Seven. Yes, you're right. Rudin yes. set up at Paramount. He's like, I love this. He's going to direct it, but instead he directs Hellraiser 4. Well, was it one of those things yes. where they're like, why don't you take this other movie first? Right. Why don't yes. you maybe, get your sea legs? Yeah, exactly. Right. right. And, and then, then I think they go like, we can't trust you with this movie. We need a bigger budget. We need a more experienced person. You're too niche. Well, and also he, Alan Smithies himself on Hellraiser 4. I think he, he got in a big fight over whatever, right. the direction of Hellraiser 4, which I have not seen. Bloodline. That is Bloodline. It's a space one, right? Yes. Yeah. But then the notion so. becomes like, well, rather than letting this guy who's like a horror dude make a $15 million movie, maybe we get a more prestigious director to make like a 60 or $70 million movie. But let's keep Kevin on board right. to do all the special effects, which he like, you know, what an egoless thing for him to do. To yeah, just to it's, like, it's kind sure. of beautiful. It's yeah. true. That's a good point. It's sort of commendable in a way that he didn't just back off also yeah right he gets a good Francis credit Ford Coppola has a producing credit which on this. Tim Burton said he didn't know until right. they locked picture right. when the credits had been placed in I'm, I'm curious wh- at what point because like when I first saw that I thought oh there's an interesting lineage between yeah. this and Bram Stoker's Dracula sound right, stages right, right, it feels right. very yeah but it has nothing to do with that it turns no, out no somehow American Zootrip got involved at some point and I think Coppola like maybe they had the rights to the story at some point in the has 80s. has the and, credit yeah. because of that association. Uh. But apparently had no participation whatsoever. Zotrope was involved at some point in the development, but not even specifically this Burton iteration. Weird. Yeah. Very, they had, they had, had very the rights weird. to Ichabod Crane as a character or something like yeah. that. One of those. Weird. And it's also yeah. kind of weird that this is the only Rudin Burton movie. Because Rudin is known for like collecting directors. Yeah, he's, like, you're, you're my guy now. And I'm right, going to get right. you whatever you want. I'm going to support all your movies. Yeah, I'm right. going to keep you in here. And it does seem like the kind of guy. It makes sense in the 90s that they would team up. Rudin did the Adams Family movies too, didn't he? 
Am I wrong about that? Um, they rule. I yeah, mean, the right. greatest, arguably the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, they fuck. Um, they do. They fuck each other. No, they relax. I the other day was looking at my DVD shelf, and I swear to God, the disc cut it out for no. Adam's family Take and Adam's values had had rolled out of the cases and were fucking each Are other. Are you happy? He produced them. I did. Thank you. Okay. The DVDs were sixty nine each other. So I actually don't love the first Adam's Family. I like the first Adam's Family. The the first movie. But the second one is where they take the concept and really run with it. Yes, the yeah, second yeah. one is it's the one the where I feel like it's really unhinged. But I rewatched the first one recently and just had the best time. It's it, still it a is really, really it looks incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's so the design of it is so fantastic. And um Christopher Lloyd is phenomenal in it. So it's sort of his showcase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh I do like it. I just feel like uh, you know. It was just it looks shittier in comparison to values, which is ten out of ten masterpiece first ballot it's Hall nice. of Famer. This is just so funny. Yeah. Whereas like the first one looks great, is well performed, has the right idea, but it's just not quite as like hilarious, right? Well, like, yeah, values has the funniest thing that any movie's ever had, which is Baby with a Mustache. Baby with a mustache. Doesn't get better. Getting than that. shot up to an airplane and going like eh. Yeah. Well, yeah. So you know, whoever thought of anything better than that? No one. No. Literally, it has not happened since we've been waiting. Right. We we draw a line in Hollywood like yeah. that's yeah baby with a mustache. Didn't Mordecai have a mustache in like a, a baby in a mustache? It feels like that's like the one movie that would have had. Is that the joke? Is, is he born with a mustache? I, I believe seen it, you but... don't see baby Mordecai. I tried to watch Mordecai. I've tried to watch I, it too. I, I tried. I never so made it through. Hard. It's literally like it's, it's like the it's saltine challenge. It's this thing. <laughs> I swear to God, I sat down with a group of people with the full intention of watching Mordecai, and we were like. Our, our systems will not allow us to process this anymore. So we started skipping around, and even that was hurting us. It's not the worst one I've ever seen. It's literally just your body starts, re- like, <laughs> it's rejecting just, it, it. It's quite dull. Like, that's the real problem. It's, like, dull and garish at the same time, which is sure. a really bad combination. Well, like, it's about an art dealer. Like, it's not fun. Yes. Like, the plot isn't that fun. No. 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 Paul Bettany plays Jacques Strap. That's correct. A He's a French man named slash. Jacques Strap. Let's get back to Babies with Mustaches yeah, yes. here. Like, okay. I, I'm, I'm already getting Babies bored. with Mustaches. Yeah. Do you know that the running bit in Mordecai, the one thing that's funny, though, is that Gwyneth Paltrow, his wife, has been away. She comes home. She doesn't know that he's grown the mustache. And the whole movie, every time he tries to kiss her, she drives. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> that is kind of funny. It's the one funny bit in the movie. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow is very funny. And, like, it's good when she gets to be funny. Yeah, I mean, she's, you know, not quite Baby with a Mustache, but she's close. Yeah, she's funny. She's probably my favorite stand-up. Sleepy Hollow. Uh-huh. Burton comes aboard, as you say, I think because of uh, Superman Returns, he's just like itching to do something. Right. He'd been dealing with John Peters for a year. Yeah. Uh, didn't like this that. This is going to be micromanaged in the same way. Right. This- I also feel like he probably was like with Superman, just not really, like he was stretching to find a way to make it his mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, why and was he going to do that? Because at that point in time, he was the superhero. No, director. I know. Like, but that's like, the weird thing to think you'd about. You'd think he'd think like, I already did that. Like, but yeah. sometimes like, I think a good comparison is like Paul Verhoeven, where they will give him a script for, you know, Hollow Man. And he's like, oh, I can do something with this. I can sure, use sure. this I, to try these other things. Exactly. And right. whereas Burton just thinks, oh, Maybe like maybe I can like with Planet of the I think Planet of the Apes is like a good right. corollary yes. to what Superman might have been where he's like right I can probably figure out a way to make this a Tim Burton movie because mm-hmm. his what a Tim Burton movie I think for him is just so intrinsic to what he's doing that he can't really he's not as flexible no right. and so you feel the strain when they occur and that does occur especially in you know the My more recent films sense from the interviews I've seen him do and from the the production the concept art all that sort of stuff. 
is that he was going to go really hard on the sci-fi aspects of it. That he essentially wanted to make like a, a 60s B-movie, alien movie with Superman in it. Which most people don't think about the alien aspect of Superman that yeah. much outside of whatever fucking prologue you have. But you, I feel like at, at this time in the culture mm-hmm. and for the next, for really for like the next 10 years, there's still that idea that like, oh, Tim Burton's going to put a spin on this. Like, that'll right. be crazy. And Alice in the Wonderland, Alice in the Wonderland. Yeah. Alice in Wonderland, I feel like is what kills that debt. But also is his biggest hit. I know. But when that's announced, the pe- yeah. people are like, oh, it'll be so twisted. Yeah. Like, right. right? Like, this is going to be, this is going to be wild. Yeah. And even that, that first poster with Depp all made up, right. people are like, this looks, and then. And then it worked and everyone hated it. Right. And I feel like he's been fighting such an uphill battle since then in terms of winning people back. Sure. Especially when it's ever announced that it's a Tim Burton take on blank. Exactly, right. But this was so... But this era is the, when, right, right. The, the Tim Burton take, let me add it. And like, Sleepy Hollow is so in the fucking pocket where you just go like, okay, he's not going to have to bend to make this his Precisely. Thing. This is just him executing this better than probably anyone it's else could him digging time. into the things he's always talked about loving the most. Is right. it, like, arguably the best, like, match of material to Burton? Like, probably. Like Other a, than stuff that he's conceived of himself, right. like, yeah. like yeah. Edward hands or Nightmare. Yeah, there's just, right. there's just yeah. no walk here. And I also think that helps with removing the kitsch of it, which it's not like I dislike Burton kitsch when I think it's well done. Sure. But I think this movie was him trying to prove like, I don't have to be tongue in cheek. I'll let Depp do all the subversiveness. I'm going to play this movie straight down the middle, you know, and really kind of invest in this as like a a respectable, honest world. Um, And I think also just the fact like, I mean, so I this movie, uh, I was 10 when it came out. Yeah, I was going to ask if you saw it in theaters. This is an R. I, I did. I was R. so rabid about him. My parents were very reticent to take me to R-rated movies. And this was a no question, of course, we're going to take you to see it. Right. Because I was just fucking nuts about him. How many of his films had you seen in the theater? Because uh, you're young. I'm young. Like, when are you getting hooked on Burton? I mean, that's the thing. It's like Mars Attacks was maybe the only one I saw in the theater, but I'd seen all of them on video. Yeah, there's no way you'd seen like Ed Wood in the theater. Definitely right? not. Yeah, I was not so. allowed to see Ed Wood until I was like a year or two after this. Right. Uh, because it has methadone. <laughs> I guess it Such does. A taboo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Uh, did you see this in the theater? David? I did. I think yeah. I saw I became a Burton fan very early. Mm-hmm. I was probably nine. Okay. And uh, my parents would not let me see Batman or Batman Returns. Okay. They did let me see Edward Scissorhands. So that was the first thing I saw of, of his, his in, the theater. in the theater. Right, right, right. When I was, I think, nine years old. Sure. And then I saw everyone after that. So Batman Returns. Bat- you, that, Batman, oh, wait, Returns Batman Returns is after. Is after. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I didn't see, but they didn't let me see Batman Returns. Why not? Your parents I, are. It's strange. I think they felt they just, like, that the, the kinkiness oh, was sure. a little bit too much for me. Yeah. I mean, which it wasn't. I, so I had all the trading cards. I had the yeah. making of book, right. but it took me a while to see the film itself. Did, but you saw Ed Wood. You they, think? Yeah, they did take me to see Ed Wood. By and that point, Kikinos was okay, I guess. Sure. So I went to see yeah. Ed Wood. And then Mars Attacks. And then this, Mars right. Attacks was a big deal. I saw like a, like the, the the week advanced screening. They always would do like a sure. Sunday afternoon advanced screening. And I remember getting advanced tickets to it. And and then uh, and then and this, this one. This, is, yeah. this, this, is this one, I was a projectionist at this point. Like shortly after Mars Attacks came out, I got my first job. At Wait, a, now I want to know the David Lowry story. I don't know. Yeah, where are you from? I'm in Dallas, Texas. Okay, cool. The first megaplex in the country is the AMC Grand. Okay. And How many screens? 24 screens. Wow. It was the first time that had happened. Wow, yeah. And so I what was... What year was this that it opened? It opened in 95, I think. Okay. Braveheart was the first movie I saw there. Okay. And... It appears to be closed now or sort of half closed? It's, it's closed and then it got turned into a studio movie grill, which is sort of a... 
a ripoff of like an Alamo, Alamo. Right. Yeah. and then it, I don't know what I haven't been there in years. Yeah, you're right. It opened in 1995, and it was a big deal. I saw Braveheart, and then uh-huh. I saw Species, and that was my sure. my my summer. You grow right up <laughs> yeah, with those exactly. two movies, exactly. Right. Um, and then so anyway, I was kind of modeling my career at that point off of Owen Wilson, who also is from Dallas. Uh-huh. Wes Anderson as well, but Owen Wilson also... That was sort of the had, path you saw. Yeah, I, 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 both because like point. Bottle Rocket sure. had just come out, and I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So Owen Wilson had been a projectionist at an AMC theater. And I think, okay, that's the ticket. <laughs> yeah. Got to yeah, write right. a script, be a projectionist, go write at this one particular coffee shop that they worked at where Kumar, the Kumar owned. Yeah. And so I did all of those things. I, as soon as I turned 16, applied at the AMC Grand, did you know my time in the concession stand, but quickly worked up to become a projectionist. Okay. This was in the 35 millimeter era, so it was a much more there was a lot more responsibility. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's um, although they job. did entrust often one 16 year old me to run all 24 projectors at once. What? <laughs> How is that even possible? You just run a lot. It's like yeah, you must the, have the just projection booth is about a mile. I was going to ask why your calves are <laughs> the size of my head. Um, Wait, is it all on one floor? It's or it's a yeah it's all on one floor but it's like wow. split into different wings yeah and like four different wings and so all the timing is staggered but then you have to like don't you have to move the what do you have to tell it's me it's not about? They're, they're platter systems so okay, they're not changeovers so it's all ch- automated right, once right, you hit right, start so you just right. have to thread it up and let it go but now when you when you say it's in different wings like were the projection booths in one wing connected so that you didn't have to run in and out yes exactly so right, you have see, like you have you have a cluster three you have a cluster of ten okay oh Jesus and then another cluster of ten and then two smaller clusters of two for the biggest biggest auditoriums wow um and so I I love this did this. This I loved this job. I loved being a projectionist. Yeah. So I did it far longer than I should have. Mm-hmm. From the time I was 16 to 24. Wow. I around the time I turned 24, I realized it was possible to make more than $6 an hour. <laughs> but up until that point, I felt I was a king's wage was being earned. <laughs> and did you, you get also, free movie probably? Oh, right? free yeah. movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ultimately was fired for sneaking too many friends in. Wow. Uh, after I, 8 years, after they eight, did you I dirty? I think they were just w- ready for me to go. Like, they were do like, you feel like that's kind of the thing that then like pushed you into having to make your own films oh, was totally. like yeah yeah you would have like stayed I haven't there had a, i haven't right. had a real like day job since then right yeah there's like a cinema paradiso movie here though where it's like oh, yeah like it. you can the old owner's like we gotta you know david's gotta find his own <laughs> yeah, way exactly like, you know, let's find a exactly. reason to fire him but um, you during this time were also writing uh submitting ain't it cool reviews were you not yeah in fact the very first thing i ever sent to ain't it cool was a review of the sleepy hollow trailer Really? Wow. Yes. Because you were getting to see stuff early when they would do sort of test exactly. screenings. Exactly. Because yeah. Dallas actually a was a market. big test right. screening yeah. hub. Sure. Blade Runner showed, this was before my time, of yeah. course, but yeah, Blade yeah. Runner and E.T. were both like heavily test screened in Dallas. But that's like, those are the types of major cities that aren't industry hubs in yeah. the way that New York and L.A. are, where like if right. you have they a big worry studio about, movie, like, tipping people off, you're showing right. it five months in advance. You do it there. Yeah. Um, so, so you would be like watching things from the projector booth and writing notes and then submitting them to like, or what would happen Vern, is the night before Kirk, you'd, you'd build up the print and then you'd have to watch it to make sure you built it up. Correctly oh, wow. There were no misplaces. Before the even, right. Yeah. right, right so, so course. whether it was an, an advanced screening, a yeah. test screening, or even just, just Thursday it. night before the movie, yeah. you had to run the print through. Yeah. Did you wow. have to do that at like one in the morning though? Oh yeah. Like, so yeah, like right, Friday right. mornings in high school, like I was not present God, because yeah. I would be up all night and I eagerly awaited Thursday yeah. night. It was always exciting. Right, you got to see a movie. Yeah, right? and, yeah, and we would try to, if there was like a movie that was outgoing, we would try to cancel that screening mm-hmm. so we could get started early with running the prints through and checking them. But sure. that, And so one time, you know, people, I would, you could sometimes bring friends to these like Thursday night screenings and Dark City was coming out. Sure. 
And I invited a couple of friends who invited a couple of friends and it ended up being like 40 people showed up to see Dark City. And my manager was like, uh, Don't do they, please <laughs> ask them to leave right now. Um, anyway, I was a projectionist when this opened. Okay. And I was thrilled. I was so excited for it. Had been waiting for it for a long time. Obviously had studied the trailer and yeah. reviewed it for Ain't It Cool News. The trailer for this was like fucking big. It was like good. I watched it again of, yeah. yesterday and it's like a good trailer. This was one of the early movies that like really weaponized the internet and like fan culture, oddly, because like their website was like huge. There's a variety article, David, if you want to look it up from 1999, I know the Wikipedia links to it about how like Paramount was making like certainly for an R rated movie, but also for any movie, they were pushing it in online push. Right. Right. There was a big website. They had merchandise on the website like nine months in advance where you could buy like heads will roll shot glasses. Right. That was like a big thing. And they had like EPK on there. We're making a scary R-rated blockbuster. We have the footage here. They'd have uh, people who worked on the movies doing like live chats. They had McFarlane Toys toy line. They did. Um, Which produced, I'll get to a merchandise spotlight later, one of the least successful action figures of the 90s came out of this movie. Great. Um, But yeah, they were like really fucking going for it in a way that feels odd to think about now for like how violent this movie is how much it is one film, like designed to be a fully standalone thing, something that has name recognition, but not like a built-in audience. I wonder if there was ever a moment, like when it did well, where they're like, huh, can we make a second one? Like, can it's, the Headless Horseman right. return? And or you, you go like, do you buy another property of another weird folklore story and have Ichabod Crane? Right. That's right. like the you Bram Stoker's Dracula like Marriage Frankenstein, right. which never works. Right. Right. Yeah. Or like the Huntsman Winter's War kind of thing <laughs> where it's like... Well, right, that one is like... The early years of Michael Gambon and Sleepy Hollow, like, <laughs> right. battling demons. Yeah. yeah Actually, that'd be cool. If they yeah, cast Michael Gambon and Gambon yeah. now... Like, yeah, and you could get Walking back. You could do a prequel. Yeah. Sleepy Hollow Origins. Walking's the most interesting aspect of this movie, because yeah. this is the very last moment where he could have done this. This is the... Well, this is the bottom a wordless of his role. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but also, after this, his career rebounds, but as, because like, postmodern, yeah. funny Walking, yeah. and the SNL appearances, and, and him starting to be in comedies, and all those sorts of things... You couldn't have taken him seriously in a role like this 18 months later. But, like, at this point, he is, I mean, he's so far removed from success. Like, yeah. he's, you know, he might be the weird character actor who pops up in Pulp Fiction or something. But it's but, also worth interesting, like, this is, not only is Burton operating solely in his wheelhouse, but he's just bringing out all of his heavy hitters. Like, yeah. he's just getting the the rogues gallery of Burton character actors all into one And, like, this soundstage. is the first of his Christopher Lee run. Right. This is sort of the end of his walk-in run. Oh, and this was this was before Christopher Lee had his renaissance. Yeah, this is the start of Saruman. it. Yeah. yeah, and my my mom uh, interviewed Christopher Lee for this movie. Really? Because he had an autobiography, I think, that came out right around this point. Right. I guess he was sort of he was essentially like seventy five. He thought his career was probably retired. over. Right. right. And, and then he had a ten year. He like, was he was in this. You know, the BBC did this adaptation of Gorman Gas, the mm-hmm. Marvin, Mervyn Peak novels, which are so good. Um. And he was in this, so right, he was. It was a bit of a swan song, no, yeah. with no concept that right, he was about right to have around this the corner, ten right. year reign as old man Christopher right. Lee, the most bankable movie star. It's in like Hollywood. fifteen years later, he'll be putting out a metal album. Right. And so I remember, like, my mom had to watch all these Hammer horror movies, which mm. she does not like horror movies, so I yeah. watched them all with her. And so I had all this fun watching all these cool Hammer horror movies that he, mm-hmm. you know, all the greats. And then she interviewed him and said that he was like literally like the like most perfect British gentleman like yeah. of all time like you know and he used to be like a spy like he has such an incredible like life story but uh, right. she would interview these British character actors and be like they're just literally like the nicest people in the world when 
Burton and Depp did interviews about this movie at the time. They said the big thing they wanted to emulate was that sort of the hammer elegance. Horrors. Yes, right. No, right. I mean the, the, the hammer yes, horrors aesthetically, but the big thing they wanted to latch onto was the elegance that like Cushing and Lee would bring to it. Well, because those they movies are like it. right. Yeah. They've got that gore and that sort of like visceral so shock value. And, but and, then right, they do right. have lots of dialogue right. scenes where everyone's sort of laying out the plot in very yeah. yes, very eloquent. And they and said there's just a grace yes. to those guys. Oh yeah. you know the the presence they they're brought. classy. Right. Right. Uh, there's, a, there's a touch of the poet. Yes. And speaking of which, one of the other connections to the prequel trilogy is, this is episode three, but that Tom Stoppard came in to do yeah. a draft Punch of the up, screenplay. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's Which right. shows, I mean, you can just tell like all of the, the witticisms that occur between Johnny Depp and Christina Ricci. Yes. Well, you just feel that touch through yeah. and through. That, that's apparently what they mostly brought him on to do is to really hone up the Crane character. Sure. And add that sort of gothic like the, humor to it. Yeah, you must have a bit of witch in you because you have bewitched me. Like it's yeah, such a yeah, goofy the, line, but it yes. works so well. And just I, f- in my memory, that was the trailer's sort of big yeah. line, right? Or at least one of the big. I also lines. remember weirdly the big image they kept on using to sell the movie was her blindfolded kissing him on the cheek. It's like, true. Yeah, that was. image was fucking everywhere. Well, and she's right on the poster. And they did like, she like, was, stop yeah. motion printing of it. So they slowed yes. it down in the trailers beyond what it is in the movie. Right. Yeah. Really She's billed on the poster. Like, yeah. you know, she was a big part of the theme. She was, she Which, just won a Golden Globe or yeah. whatever. She's like, she's This a role big deal. isn't huge, and I would argue it's a, the least effective part of the movie. And you kind you of You almost feel, want, like, a little more. Like, you know, it, it would work if she had just a little more to do. Yeah. It feels unbalanced because she's Christina Ricci. Like, you know, if they had cast, like, some actress dressed at a drama school and put her in this role, you would have been like, that's another one of the company players. Right. I was, de- I was debating that watching because it, it does yeah. feel undercooked, but they give her just enough to where it's acceptable. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's the fact that she is doing these hexes and, and kind of protecting Ichabod yeah. is, a, is, a, is smart because even though she's not actively doing much on screen, you still feel the character has a significant she presence, a presence in the story. Right. But I think also people were excited because it was like, and then this becomes another Burton problem is like, oh, he's casting someone who looks like they were made to be in a Burton movie. It looks like right. one of his drawings. Which yeah. at the time was exciting, and then people get to the point where it's like, ugh, that's boring that he's putting, like, Eva Green in. Not because sure. Eva Green isn't good, but because she looks no, like I, he drew he, her. he becomes a slave of his own aesthetic. Right. right. Like, that's, that's, that's the Burton story. But this is the crux point, where, yes. like, he can still do it just as he wants it to mm-hmm. look, and we're all still on board, I think. Even now, I, like, going yeah, back even to it now, now, where, right. like, I, I, I think have issues with the aesthetic. Now. Like, it's like, this movie is a breath of fresh air. I think this movie worked better now even than yes. it did in its time. It didn't get great reviews. No. Like, it wasn't like some movie where people were like, you know, it's a masterpiece. I think, I feel like the line on this movie when it came out was, it looks great. It was gorgeous yeah. but hollow is kind of right. what everyone said, no pun intended. Uh, but, but yeah, you read the reviews at the time and they, they were fairly middling and they were like, the screenplays wrote, whatever. And then the two things were like, it's kind of cool that Depp's getting away with this. Sure. And the thing looks fucking unbelievable. And it got those Oscar nominations. It got three Oscar nominations. Right, and one Best Art Direction. Yeah. Um, Deservedly. Should have won all three of those. Well, it was never going to win cinematography because that's the Conrad L. Hall American Beauty. Right. Like, Although know, Conrad Hall on. shot the opening scene of the movie. So it's an interesting... Did he? Yeah, he did the whole Weird. Martin Landau sequence. What's Which the backstory so on that? Do you know? Uh, Chifo just wasn't available. And Easy. Conrad just subbed in. Exactly. Yeah, yeah just a pinch hitter. Um, oh, they funny. wanted to shoot the movie black and white Academy ratio. Right, right. right. The studio was like, "Are you fucking?" <laughs> I feel like that conversation did not get far at <laughs> yes. all. Are you aware of the budget of this film? <laughs> yes, I feel right. like maybe in retrospect they yeah. thought 
oh, that would have been cool if we had done that. Let's talk about it. Like, right. there's yeah. no way that ever. They, they never they actually never went to that. Scott Rudin. Like, even Rudin's going to be, I'm not, come on, guys. Like, right. Yeah, you know. But then. Uh, so they just make it look like a black and That's the great thing right? is that it's so sort of desaturated and they figured out how to use the sort of fog and the smoke and the background paintings and all that sort of stuff on set to sort of uh, play up the starkness uh, of the colors. But the big difference is, like, at this point, there's still a lot of tactile craft that has to go into creating that sort of image. And then they push it the final 10% digitally in post. Now it just feels like Burton makes a movie and then he slides the contrast all the way, sure. you know? It's right. interesting, like, watching the trailer because yeah. the trailer does not have the same grading that no. the movie does. And so mm-hmm. you see, like, what it looked like before they it's finally warmer. put It's much warmer. Yeah. The colors are more vibrant. doesn't look as good. Yeah. Um, but, of course, it was all done photochemically. Or I'm sure it was maybe... This would have been a photochemical grade. Like they would not. Uh, well, Oh Brother is, is pre, the year after. Yeah, this, this is pre right. Oh Brother. Yeah. So yeah. this would have all, all right. done Before photochemically. Yeah. And okay. it just looks glorious. Yes. And it was all so well planned. You can yes. just tell that, that Chivo and Burton had just, and, the, and Rick Heinrichs did the production design. Yes. And that they had just like figured that out in advance. That's everything speaks to that. the big distinction to me is that they knew everything they need to do in advance to best create that image later versus him just shooting like, because you'll see the same things when like, paparazzi photos or like the early production stills come out from something like Dark Shadows and it has a totally different color palette than the final yeah, movie. Yeah. But that's just them going into like, you know. Figuring it out later. Right. right. So Chivo had done, he'd done those collaborations with Caron, mm-hmm. right? Like, and he, I think he got an Oscar nomination for um, A Little Princess, which is he a did. Yes. shot movie. Random Hearts? Uh, he does not do Random Hearts. Now I want to know who shot Random Hearts though. Yeah. Um, no, he he's you know he's still pretty like he did like Meet Joe Black at the year oh, before. Oh, that's one thing. Though. He did right. some like elegant like movie right. star movie. He did um, the Birdcage. Weird. He did uh, Reality Bites. Did you know he shot? I reality? didn't. Know that was Bites. his yeah. first American film. Right, because before then he had done Spanish right. language films. Uh, he did like Water for Chocolate, which is a very pretty movie. Um, Mexican films. These are Mexican films. But yeah. but yeah, this was Burton said he hired him off of Great Expectations, which looks uh, great. Right, yeah. which looks great. I mean, he's a great. Filmmaker and it's kind of disappointing that they never worked together again after this because it feels like they really crystallized something. Philippe Rousselot shot Random Hearts, bringing him back. We were talking <laughs> so about it before. Yeah, that we, is bizarre. Right, who then becomes his guy for like six or seven. Did moments. you know he shot um the Cat in the Hat? Yes, Philippe Rousselot. No, uh, Lubeski, Chivo. Lubeski shot the Cat in the Hat. Yes, he did. That's fucking insane. He shot Ali. I knew that. Beautifully shot. And then, yeah, then he becomes, right, Malik and Quaron. Those are his guy. He basically just end then Yuneritu, starting with um, Birdman. Yeah, but Cat in the Hat looks like, like fucking Care Bear diarrhea. Like, it doesn't even have, <laughs> I, like, I've never seen it. I mean. It's a nightmare. I mean, I bet you learned a lot on that movie. Sure. Yeah. And that's I bet everybody got, did. But, yeah, so with this movie, they want it to be, um, they, they, they're, they location scout, right? Like, they right. think about shooting this, like, in a real village. They right. went in upstate New York. They were right. like, let's yeah. go to where Sleepy Hollow. My right. wife was actually in Sleepy Hollow the other day and didn't realize it was a real place. She was like, oh, I'm in a town called Sleepy Hollow. And I was like, that's it. That's the real one. That's the real one. My, <laughs> yeah. I have friends who live there. You know, it was, it used to be called North Tarrytown or something. And they eventually were like, let's rename ourselves Sleepy Hollow. Much cooler name. Yeah. And, like, we'll get tourists to come. Yeah. Like, and that is the place. Because the Washington Irving place, the, 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 the story references, like, Tarrytown yeah. as, like, being adjacent to Sleepy Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. It was a little hamlet or whatever, a little mm-hmm. collection of folks. But yeah. it didn't look right. No. Because so, uh, it's the suburbs up there now. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not some quaint English town. And they wanted American, that sort of American yeah, town. Brand new American <laughs> town. They yeah. wanted that controlled Grand Guignol kind of thing. Right. 
So they they build the fucking thing, right? They built a huge village and then shot some of the movie on that, but then most of it, I think, is must be sound like it looks like most of it. I think a lot of sound stages. But I just love this movie having being in a pre let's just green screen everything. The fact that surrounding them on all these sets, especially the the exterior sets, are just these beautiful like still backdrops of like clouds and fog. Sure. There's something very eerie about the fact that it doesn't move at all. Yeah, it's real, and it's it's really hard to do. Yes, I've tried to do it recently, and it's not easy, especially in a film that's this dark. Exactly, I right. and and uh, Chivo then took it like even further with a series of unfortunate events. Like yes. that movie also, I think, was like the last big like soundstage exterior movie, yeah. and like looking at the lighting grids for that are just like mind boggling. That movie looks unbelievable. It's incredible. Yeah. Right. But and that feels like him kind of running with everything he did on this. Exactly. Movie like this way. was like the practice run for that. Yeah. And what a glorious practice run it is. Um, and there's something about the quaintness of it too. Like they're always, the headless horseman's always running through the same path in the woods. Cause I yes. feel like they had like a very limited and Burton talks about this in the commentary track. Like this, these Spanish stallions running at full gallop, on this very limited path up right. a hill in a soundstage. Right. right. Whereas, like, if they made this movie tomorrow, they would build the patch of the ground yeah. right. and a couple trees or rocks that they would rearrange and shoot different angles and they would just add all, all the trees would be a later. Screen yeah. It. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. There's probably, like, not even that much digital set extension in this. Because, like, the windmill's miniature, which means that we're a yeah. force perspective miniature, so it's probably a backdrop behind that. And He said pointedly wanted to do as much in camera as possible, you know? So I, I think the biggest CGI effect in this movie is just the Headless Horseman himself, yeah. which is just putting a, a green hood over Ray Park's head. Is that what they did? Yeah. Yeah, that was how they did it? Yeah. They didn't do the Casper Van Dien, uh, you know, cloak... Attached, which no, is that's yeah. what's in the trailer, though. And, right. and, and in the trailer, you don't know that, and it's still pretty effective, yeah. right? Right, right. But it, there is something very eerie to the way that he moves because he's not moving with that sort of like full body turn, yeah, yeah, that the, right. the head on the shoulders kind of thing does, you know, yeah. Um, and the high collar, it's like it, I was they had uh, problems with low ceilings. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as you're saying, Phantom Menace, all the set height was at digital extensions, but here they had problems with how low the ceilings are at least, and which is funny. Uh, so they used a lot of smoke. They said, "Yeah, yeah," which works. Looks sure. great. There's that yeah. one shot where he looks off into the cornfields and like some deer run out, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. deer are like notoriously bad actors. So it. I yeah. assume that those are all digital, sure, and they look real. Yeah, and like I've made a movie with. CG deer. It's because uh, you crazy. just you can't get them to do anything. So yeah. really? they never look good. And I was like watching. I was like, oh, those look like real deer, and they had to have been digital. Like, yeah, like, there's no way they were real. They, yeah, and I I noticed the deer, and I thought I just saw a movie with digital deer, uh, very good digital deer. But so you just can't. It's hard. It's just really hard. They're just not trained. I guess they, you don't they, really train. You them. can like yeah, you can't really get them to do anything. But like, what if you need like something to be like a metaphorical stand-in for like a loss of innocence or something? <laughs> Maybe like you shoot it on a green screen and composite <laughs> it in. Rather poorly. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is, you realize, which, like, uh, I, I just fucking love now, is, like, these special effects houses are like, yeah, that's an asset we have. We know people need CGI animal doubles. Yeah, we got a deer. So you're not going to have to eat a part of your budget having us render a deer for the first time. Right. You know, like, when I would go to, like, special effects houses in L.A., they'd be like, yeah, here's our pile of babies. 
And I was like, what did you make these for? And they're like, people always need babies. That's you so just funny. make some babies. You have some babies. But then you have some there, so they're, they're like, and sometimes we make them fight. Like, you know, they just, they're just doing like weird little experiments. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, if you're a special effects house now, you want to have like a good stable of you're assets library, of like, yeah, sure. you know, livestock and well, shit. You did, you did a big special effects movie. I mean, Pete's Dragon, right? I, mean, I don't we, know. I mean, the deer were probably, that was like, what the they do is, like, they take thing. the skeleton and they, like, mm-hmm. maybe, like, adjust it slightly. And the deer probably were from some other movie. Right, yeah. right, right. The right. biggest asset that we used that was humorous to me was... Robert Redford. Robert Redford. <laughs> right. um, which we carried over into Old Man the Gun. Yeah. Um, no, in this one... You bought the rights now, right, to that program? The, the it's, Redford it's, program? It's like that, Redford uh, that Robin Wright movie where they he signed yes, over his right, digital... Right. The, the Congress? Yes. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Um, or Simone is Simone either one yeah, either yeah. one works sure. yeah um the scenes where you know the people are interacting with the dragon mm-hmm. uh he's a furry dragon and the, so the it's physical contact the physical contact yeah. is really tough they've talked about that with the apes movies too where they right. often yeah. just end up having to replace the hands entirely yeah and we borrowed Mowgli's hands from Jungle really? Book really from the Favreau Jungle Book yeah yeah that's that's fucking so a couple cool. of shots it's, huh. it's Mowgli's hand that also feels like weirdly very classical Disney because there's all that stuff oh, where from like, like Little John and yeah, Robin Hood just completely is recycling right. the, the actual animation right. frames other than like the mouth sync it's right. literally the same motions they just put different clothes and colors on it yeah him. amen yeah fucking you gotta, rules you gotta make your movie yep. yeah so this this movie starts with uh, the the uh, the Landau Landau sequence yeah has something to do with the plot of the movie yes I don't I, I think that's the initial murder or one of the initial murders I guess he's, the he's, bringing, he's bringing the right. deed or whatever right because there's right. the, the will there's yeah. the, over the credits come over that will right or at least the carriage ride but yeah but it works as just like a like a sort of statement of intent for the movie, which is like we're it's going to chop is, heads off. It's going to be right. Violent. This is going to kind of be right. a slasher movie. We're going to build that tension around like when the guy's going to come out. And you're going to see the fucking heads and then you get and the Burton scarecrow, which now is like a thing. But that was right. the first time I think he had really maybe Nightmare Before Christmas had the That's same scarecrow. The I mean, I remember seeing this in the theater and people giggling when that came up, and not in a mocking way of being like, "Oh, we're yeah, in a Burton movie!" Exactly. Like yeah, excited yeah, yeah. giggling. And then you get the splash of blood just across yeah. it. It's also like the the beheadings were really well done because so fucking well done because they always it's they're always really fast yeah they don't linger on it but they always have a few frames of the actor reacting yes. right before right. the blade cuts through their throat right they don't do the like Mission Impossible where like, you can tell it's a fake head that's and about you to get cut right, off, right before the yeah, yeah, impact yeah, yeah. sort of thing and right. and they have like they come up with different gags for each of them yes, you know yes. what the right. head the spin, does right yeah, the, the, yeah the stuff's so good and the heads themselves are so fucking good then the Kevin one that Hager. always gets me is when Casper Vendian gets bisected rather than beheaded yes. like he, where he's like one time I'm gonna yeah, yeah. well it's cause he wasn't on he's not part he's of not the plot he doesn't yeah, need that exactly. head the guy's just head. right he's just an interference yeah uh, I remember being so fucking terrified seeing this movie like I was well, not, you were young. Yeah, and you I was not going to gonna not see it because I loved Bert. And my mom was like, yeah, I'll take you to see that. Like, she assumed I wanted to see it. Maybe she didn't get how, because it's such a Tony, like, ing- yeah. you know, uh, old-fashioned tale. Like, yeah. maybe she just didn't get that it was going to be so violent. But even watching it with her, and she was like a mom who would, like, walk me out of movies a lot. Uh-huh. We were like, she was like, this is like great, right? It's like Burton. It's like a cartoon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like she was like really fucking into it. I just remember having to act like I wasn't terrified. Right. And just the sort of like slasher movie superstructure always scared me. The dread of, oh, when is someone else going to get stabbed? And when you could tell a scene was the tease for that. Right. Leading up to it. I remember being like so relaxed anytime this movie had to deal with like procedural stuff. Right. There's a lot of conversation. Right. Because I was like, okay, this is a scene where I can fucking breathe. 
You know, yeah. like, but anytime anyone was walking out at night, I was just like, oh, Jesus fucking, cra- <laughs> like grabbing the armrest in terror. Yeah. But this opening, I was just like, Whew, okay. Like it felt like the beginning of a roller coaster where it's mm-hmm. like, I got to buckle in and deal with this thing now. Well, he chops Martin Lando's head off. Doesn't cut to credits them, which I like. Mm-hmm. Goes to New York City. Sure. Bloated corpse floating up from, I don't know, the Hudson, do- yeah, Hudson yeah. Docks. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. There was a lot in the screenplay because they published a screenplay mm-hmm. in a nice hardbound edition and there was a lot of material there that, or not a lot, but a significant amount that got cut out about how Ichabod Crane was a man of science and there was right. like someone right. on trial. You see him in the background of the courtroom scene with Christopher Lee, someone who's like in a archaic <sighs> torture love. machine. Right. Is in like a, a kind of open Iron Maiden Yes, exactly. Page. And he's yeah. a, and in the script, he was about to be, you know, subjected to the worst punishment possible, but Ichabod Crane had like proof scientifically. Yeah, that right. Yeah, 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 that, right. And, that he's sort of like the out. first forensic cop. Exactly. Which it's, I love. I, do you think they just cut that out because the movie requires him to throw that all away halfway through? You know, or at least like Kinda, admit he, like, okay, I guess this is a supernatural event. Right. You get it in sort of basics. I mean, he's kind of got the Indiana Jones arc where it's like, look, I'm a practical di- guy. I'm dealing with these things as they are. There are rules to this world. And if we follow them, we will uncover the truth. Right. And right, then, right. whereas like Indiana Jones, it's always like halfway through. He's like, oh, fuck. God kind of does exist. This movie is like halfway through like, oh, shit. Satan's real. Sure. Right. <laughs> Or at That's least a really good some comparison. sort of hell dimension, yeah. Right. Right, yeah, right? In a tree, like, yeah. Um, but but also, very, I mean, obviously tied to his mother. You yes. know, this whole notion of like the idea of persecuting witchcraft or anything that can't be explained or understood. Um, I like this whole notion. I mean, I remember at the time that was like a thing that people complained about, where they were like, "They've ruined Ichabod Crane and turned him into like a classic Hollywood movie hero." How was Ichabod Crane so beloved that you could ruin him? Yeah, yeah, and also it's like the Ichabod other bit was just Crane. like he's a coward and a school teacher right. who just tries to survive. You know, he I didn't loved, have much agency. I yeah. loved the the animated short. The yeah. I guess yeah. they probably aired it on television around Halloween. Maybe I don't yeah. know how I saw I, it. I, I saw it. They yeah. would play it a lot on TV, and yeah. it was originally it was one of those half movies yes. where like Disney didn't have a full feature in the can so they combine that with Mr. Toad. Right, right, And that would get re-released. It would get released on its own separate VHS. It would get aired on TV. And it's great and beloved, but I had no allegiance to the story so much that I was like... It's like a goofus character, which is like kind of the fun of it, but you can't really form a movie around that guy and have him like drive the cart, you know? Unless Johnny Depp had gotten his makeup, maybe. Right, right. But it's a nice balance because he still plays him as a big old Frady cat. Yeah, kind of a weirdo. But he's got a thing, a task he's got to do more than just live through this. And I like that he's not, he's still figuring it out. Like yeah. he doesn't know exactly what he's doing, but he no. knows that he's like right on the precipice of grasping something greater scientifically. And he's like, yes. he's determined to stick to his guns and, and follow that up until he finds out that hell exists. Yeah, and I think they don't overplay. <laughs> halfway in, right? It's like, I guess this is a, Portal to another yeah, dimension. Right. So, okay. All right. Science okay. That's gotta be window. it. Yeah, right. And they don't overplay the like uh, something Picasso bit of like, ha ha ha, he knew the thing was gonna be big before everyone else. No, because he's a weirdo. He's right. like a weird freak. And they like, also don't make him super powered where he's like dusting for fingerprints. He's not like Dexter like, going in there right. and looking at blood spatter and thinking, right. oh, well, the head was cut off 30 yards from here right. and not where you thought it was. His devices aren't necessarily super effective. I like every time he tries to do something, he makes a fucking mess of the place. Right. <laughs> the blood spatter on his like eyeglasses always. The blood spatter in this movie is so good. The blood it's so in this movie is fantastic. But I, sometimes it's like the little misting. Yeah. Sometimes it's streaks. Sometimes yes. it's like the whole face cover. But right, he arrives. Yeah. The Old English people are all like, you know, you got your your character actors are all in a room and they're like, there's a headless horseman. He's topping people's heads off. Right. And he's a demon from hell. 
and then he goes to the first crime scene. He's like, seems to be some kind of like a horseman. Right. Uh, collects the head. Right, let me try to detect motive a sword. Here. Like yeah. he doesn't have any. The only thing he gets is that that it the the blade cauterizes that it's hot. Right. Uh, which is cool, and that's when yeah, they say devil it's super fire. fucking rad. Yeah. But I do think it's subtle. But like, I just like that he doesn't go in there and he's like, oh, the headless horseman must live over there because of the right. My yes. my goggles knows this. It's yeah. subtle, but there's a weird kind of unbalancing effect to the fact that the credits come after he's sent to Sleepy Hollow rather sure. than after the Landau cold open. Because that feels like a classic movie move of like cold open with characters you're not going to see again, then go to credits, and then we're in the real well, story. Well, I bet that the Landau thing wasn't in the script originally. And yes. I bet, and then hence Conrad Hall having to shoot it because they right. went back and were like, we need, just, we need to start this movie yeah. off with something scary related to the plot as opposed to this discovery of a corpse and a courtroom scene. Because right, otherwise the, you don't get the horseman for like 30 minutes. And the other problem is like the mystery is hinges on these dead bodies that are dead. Yes. Where they're like, oh, and the widow, it turns out the widow is pregnant. Oh, yeah, like, I don't know who there's these people so many are. Right. And they don't have heads. Who, yeah, they've already been decapitated yeah. by the time they get there. They don't even always have a talking face. About them. They right. don't have like an Academy Award winning beloved legend like get decapitated on screen. Reteaming with Tim right. Burton who right. has won him that Academy right. Award. Yes. Where you're just like, okay, so that's a person. I get like people right. are dying. But like so much of what they uncover, and it they do also have the problem of the yeah. two Dutch families with similar names, where they're well, like, it's it Van turns Latin out, Van, right? right they, yeah. She was trying to get a one over on the other Dutch family, yeah. and you're like, oh, who? And then you remember, like, oh, the dead people who we never see, right? And Landau, I guess that's them. I do like how much this movie is about, like, sort of like family wealth and like family trees and real estate and like you know old america yeah these english people those who are, are just like mattered at that point this is my right. town yeah. and i'm the you know i'm the uh, notary and that guy's the blah right like everyone's got their fancy positions but but, it does but it's feel like a like, town of 20 people yes and, and more so than like because watching this movie i'm sure i wasn't alone in this i kept on sort of like comparing this in my mind to the guy richie sherlock holmes movies uh-huh. and i feel like this movie has more of a central mystery to be solved than the guy Ritchie movies where it's right. kind of like he's so smart that he's able to punch people well isn't it <laughs> right well isn't the guy Ritchie the movie smartest puncher in the world he's so smart and so yeah. yeah well for one guy Ritchie never saw a like premise where he wasn't like let's there are like english working class people in here let's just dig until we find them right, right. that's what he wants he yeah. wants to get to the streets right brown teeth but also isn't the premise of sherlock holmes is sherlock holmes is like magic doesn't exist the movie is like it sure seems like it does and then at the end it turns out it doesn't and sherlock holmes is like i was right you know correct right yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's whereas this is the opposite, right? Which right. is more interesting to watch as a character arc. Yeah, and also he, this is a horror movie. Yeah, like you know, yeah, it's got to exist. And he's not smarter right. than the audience, right? Like the, no, the set pieces in this movie, save for the two sort of sword fights, mm-hmm. are deaths. Yeah, like cool deaths, gory deaths. This movie doesn't add in like a bunch of superfluous chases or fight scenes or any of that. No. I wonder once once the heads start rolling, uh-huh. how. Like how frequently they are, like compared to Kevin Yeager's original 10 minute, yeah. every 10 minute vision. Yeah. They're there's, pretty, there's a lot of them. There's at least like seven. Yeah. I'd say there's one every movie. 15 minutes. I mean, yeah. I just remember very viscerally, like as you, a child sitting a kid, in the theater yeah. being like, fuck, another one's going to come up. Like I never felt super relaxed and it did feel like the roller coaster thing of like, oh, there's another loop. Like how many, of, this has to be ending soon, sure. you know? Like I loved living in the movie, but I was like, let him just fucking fix this, solve the case. Well, no. Uh, so, yeah, he yeah. chops off. Crane arrives. 
And and then there is this very like clearly designed opening credit sequence, like this long sort of travelogue yeah. in the carriage, yeah. which comes like only Leaving like New 10 York, minutes getting in out to the boonies after right. you've had Christopher Lee send him off, which is such an ominous thing to be like. It's true. Christopher Lee's telling you guys. He's Lee framed with those the wings. Burger Master. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, and then he it's also a thing I love as billing nerds when an actor gets high single card billing even though their performance is already, already over. done by the time the billing happens sure. does anyone get a with or an and in this I think Walken maybe gets an and oh maybe yeah I don't know um what was I gonna say uh he arrives they explain these people are dead and it's a great, like, it's so He's much CZ exposition. making out with someone. <laughs> yes. That's right. As, as you do when you enter a new town. Welcome to Hollywood. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, there's a lot of explanation to be but done. But it's like so, it's like, it's delicious exposition because of the actors who are giving it. They're and so it's like, I don't fun. care. I don't, even now, like, I don't really know what the, what the plot of the movie is. Like, I'm like the yeah. mystery, like, it doesn't matter to me. I enjoy listening to them talk about it so much mm-hmm. that that takes the place of like other movies that do this where you're just like, come on, like I don't want to deal with this exposition here. I'm happy to sit through it because it's so enjoyably. Well, executed. and there are two things that are fun. One is that the mystery is a really good combination of like real and supernatural things. It's like, there's a supernatural force, but these killings are tied to really gross human sort of capitalist. Right. Greed, right? Sure. So there yeah. is a web to untangle that isn't just like, like he comes from hell. Right, right, right. You know, there's like a pattern to be figured out here. Yeah, there's this whole, and I think I, you know, as we were talking about, the mystery is that it's all, you only care about it so much. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's a whole thing going on. Like, they're all like sleeping with each other's wives and, like, and when setting you, like up you said, all these when you think houses about of how cards. few people live in this town. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, there's some stuff running around. And they like it's feel up, bad yeah. about it. Like, there's a lot of guilt, like, sort of wafting off of like right. Michael Gambon and uh, because Ian you, McDermott. You don't know that it's Ian McDermott at the beginning, but right. it just sets this tone of like, he's walking into his first house and already there are people who like are, are borderline fucking outside the door. Yeah. Like, this town just has like weird lust in it. Um, right, very then, puritanical, he, yeah. you know, of he, the era. He shows up, does an autopsy on a pregnant woman, and right. they're all like, "Jesus, this well, guy's a freak." The like, other thing that's weird. fun in this movie is that he comes in so hot because right, he's this big right. New York City dude, and that scene where he's walking around them and doing his like also decapitated, right? Which I remember thinking was the funniest fucking thing in the world. Right. That he just thinks like I'm playing him like a fiddle. It's one of the six guys in this room. And then sure. they start telling him this insane They're story. They're like, oh, no, he's a demon from hell. You yeah. don't know. Hessian, you know. Right. Even before uh, he died, he ground his teeth into claws. Yeah, well, you get that amazing flashback. I love yeah, so walking, good. just going wild. And then the two little girls and this twig stand. I think right. like that's just fun. And it's fun to watch Walken do, like, fight choreography. Totally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, swing a bunch of axes and swords around and shit. Yeah. Um, but that's really good and then he comes out of it and you see immediately he's lost a lot of his confidence in the case mm-hmm. not because he assumes that's an explanation but just because this town seems fucked up completely like yeah. he just, like like he, he realizes that he's been given the worst possible case he could like right. this is a test for him this, this is, is like a Beverly Hills cop yes, like right. Right. <laughs> that's that's what Christopher Lee's doing right let me right. get this guy out of my yeah, hair right exactly science yeah. man yeah um, uh, yeah and then the, the guy gets his head cut off but the, uh, the 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 sort of since like romance decapitation, yeah, a little bit right. of mystery, more romance than another decapitation. Right. Kind of like follows this pattern for a the little. The Richie while. introduction happens before anything else because that's she walks in on the he walks in on the game where she's Katrina Van Tassel, With the, yeah, yes, the and, pickety witch, right? Gets the kiss, 
And then it's like Gambon and all the old men harumphing, harumphing, bringing him into the parlor. Right. To explain what he doesn't know. Right. And then uh, Mr. Phillips gets his like head chopped off and the kid joins Ichabod. Right. right? You know, and then we've also getting these flashbacks Mas- to Ikarad's childhood. Right. Because he's got this, this weird pattern on his hand. Mm-hmm. Scarification. Yes. That's some wild stuff. Those flashbacks. And so like well that, done because they're so different well from done. the rest of the yeah. film. They really are. They like got that, that, white chapel. White, yes. Red yes. door. Uh, and the good least, weird trauma. And, and oh, also yeah. they send Lisa up. Marie. Uh, Tim, right. I was going to say Lisa Marie had like adds such a weird power to these movies at these times because she was often so visual. Yeah. She's the Sherry Moon zombie to uh, Tim Burton's Rob Zombie. Right. But other than Ed Wood, she doesn't really speak. And no, that's what I'm like, saying. Well, right. Sherry Moon zombie too, right? I feel like she's more like a visual. Sort well, of, now he has her do yeah, a well, lot. Well, in those movies. But but that was the thing was like you knew that was like that was like a thumbprint, you know, of his films that she always had this weird sort of power. There was an article at that point when that movie came out that talked about how they would take photos of each other like or he would take photos of her in like morbid situation, like crime scene photos. And then there's this amazing photograph of him, which I have on my phone, I think. And like Sally is designed after her. Yeah. Yeah. Where he's he's administering the blood to her in the Iron Man. Yeah. Where he's putting it on so I mean, just to me at that age at 19 or 18 when i saw this movie that was the most romantic that was like the romantic the idea it just it was like, seemed like god this is so cool they found each other it, completely right. and i just was like that's what i want i want to be the i want to find my true love and douse her in blood and there's something to the fact that she was just like an element of the tapestry of the burton thing sure that like she only kind of like existed as like part of like their collaboration as opposed to someone like Helena Bonham Carter, where it's like, oh, right now she's in all his movies yeah, now, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, that she's going to take that position, but right, yeah. yeah. This sort of, yeah, we're like suicide girls, a thing at this point. Is that all out of the Burton uh, aesthetic? I'd say that kind of, yeah. A little later, or at least I be found out about it a little I bit later. I feel like that's like 2001. Ben, were you into this, you know, this sort of like, kitschy, slightly burlesque kind of horror goth stuff, like... I don't know. I feel like you need to be consulted on this. Uh, I mean, was this like, did you hate this or was this on your radar? No, this is on my radar. I don't think, I don't think the, what are the girls called again? Well, the suicide girls, 2001. So yeah, yeah, I think that's a little early. Um, Yeah, this was, this was, this is a movie for, for my kind of kid in high school, which was like a druggy kid. Um, you know, right? It seemed lived dark. In a, lived and, in an old shack down by the river. Yeah, you yeah. had to fire a bolt action rifle collection just, of knives out of the furnace. I'm just doing, you know. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes, memory. of course, yeah. of course. Um, but yeah, it's was, it was cool. <laughs> but you didn't see it. No, I did. Oh, you did. I saw oh, it because you said you were rewatching. It. I, I I thought you were seeing it for the first time. No, no, you did see it. Yeah, I did see it. Okay. Uh, I just felt like it was. I wanted it to be just kind of more like gothic and mm-hmm. less procedural. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I remember by at the going time. away right. from You wanted like time. full horror. Yep. Yeah. Not even necessarily full horror, but just, um, I, I just, I don't know. Cause I remember reading uh, the Irving story too. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think I wanted it to feel more like an old timey. There's horror. a purity to that. Right. You know, it's, yeah. it's so simple yep. and, and, it's just a headless horseman who wants to cut off heads. There's right. nothing it's like who lives in that town. And if you yeah. cross the bridge, you're free. Like it's so simple, but you know, the movie had to be two hours. So sure. Yeah. Not and, even. It's, an it's kind of nice how tight the film is yeah. relatively. Yeah. 
I, I remember watching it just to jump ahead to yeah, the, you know, the climactic ahead. church scene mm-hmm. and just thinking that was the end of the movie. Right. Yes. Being it's com- a great scene. Being completely satisfied. Yeah. Like I was very like, I was like, oh, this, that was a good, you know, the mystery is solved. It was them all along and right. completely had forgotten about Miranda Richardson. Right. And I, it, it, it delivered the goods. Like I was happy with that as an ending. Michael Gambon getting impaled and like dragooned <sighs> yeah. out. Is amazing. Super and the, cool. and the, the, right. the, the blood on that, I mean, the blood, as we said, is amazing in this movie. It's yes. got yeah. that painterly consistency. Right. Where it right. just right. literally right. looks like paint. Yes. It's so lush. Yeah. yeah. And that his, his face as he's standing there with the, the fence post coming through his chest. It yeah. must have been fun to shoot all of this. Especially great. for these, like, you know, I mean, Michael Goff obviously had yeah. done the Batman movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, if you're uh, Richard Griffiths or uh, my, yeah. Michael Gambon, you haven't done a big budget movie no. like this. Like, this is a, an exciting new like and Hollywood thing. What I was gonna say is like, imagine like the hotel bar where all these guys were staying. Right, and like, they're all imagine, talking about it's just like, the scene from the movie. Right, you know, they're, they're, they're all gathered around the fire. That time, like <laughs> right. Oliver Reed yeah. called me a cunt. Right. You know? like, hey, hey, <laughs> sorry. Hey, like probably you're did. not allowed to say Oliver Reed on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, no, but that's just one of those things I think about where it's like, God, this must have been so much fun to like stay at that hotel right. as like a grip and come downstairs and just sit at the bar next to them and listen to them like drink into the rag night, about yeah. like Richard Barton was a hack. He owes me a hay penny. It's interesting because all of these <laughs> actors are still alive, yep. but they don't. No, Michael Goff Griff- and Richard Griffiths are both. Oh, yes. Yeah. They yeah. Have. Yeah, Richard yeah. Griffiths exactly. recently died. Yeah. Uh, well, not that a few years ago. And Michael yeah. Goff only died pretty recently. He lived a but he had, long, but he had retired. Time. Like he came yes. out of retirement for this. He was yes. ninety-four when he died. Yeah. He right. He was lured out of retirement for this role, which is funny because I wonder how that conversation. I mean, he probably happened. lived down the street. Yeah. Like, it was like right. You know, like it's not like Burton was like, "It's a great role. You're a notary." <laughs> like right. you know. <laughs> <laughs> gonna give you a mullet he real showed, stringy no, it was he showed up on set looking like this and he was like so how do we want to style me um he also he did a voice for a corpse ride i mean it does seem like they were very close sure, of course even when he was like physically infirm he still was willing to come out for burton um which is another thing that like actors really like working with him uh, uh really He's like a nice yeah. guy. Yeah. I mean, I think A, he's got like his people that he uses over and over again, which shows a sense of loyalty. But B, I, I think like you hear a lot of actors who you would imagine wouldn't want to be part of that sort of like overblown production. And I think he keys into people really well. He gives them a lot of freedom. There's such a tone that you know you can sort of play in going into one of his movies. I've always been curious about that. Just yeah. like I would love to sit on one of his sets. They, they, you don't see it really in the behind-the-scenes footage on the DVDs, but like to sit on one of the sets and watch him direct a scene. Yeah, I have no idea how he does it. The thing I always think about, uh, he says, is that his least favorite part of directing movies is being on set and having people ask him questions all the time. <laughs> I can see that. So uh-huh. his thing is that he paces back and forth endlessly to make it look like he's busy thinking about something else, Jesus. so that like studio execs won't come up and like bother him. Like he like mutters around and talks to himself to make them be like, oh, I can't bother him right That's now. Good trick. But actors seem to really like working with him. Sure. And, you know, key creative people seem to really like working with him. I think he doesn't like dealing with executives. Sure. You know, he doesn't like dealing with the money or the but schedule. But he's like their like, favorite guy now. Right. It's, it's a very odd thing. We, I have heard, you know, you, you hear tell of this, though, where like the weirdest directors the executives sort of just become enamored of the weirdness with like, yeah. oh, Tim, you know, right. it is now crazy hair. Thing, yeah. yeah, we'll just let him do what he does. And also these movies now have enormous budgets. Right. All yeah. of his movies are $200 million films mm-hmm. at this point. And, and so everyone like 
like the cinematographers have time to like light an insert shot. I remember hearing that about Dark Shadows, about how they yeah. spent like half a day lighting an insert shot of Civil War on the table. And like, what fun for a DP to finally right. have the time to get the fork looking just Everyone right. Everyone gets right. to do the kind of filmmaking they don't necessarily get to do in other types of projects. Because usually the things of this size are like so fucking overblown and like corporate. Yeah. There's no room for that artistry or you're crunched, you're small, you're rushed, you have a lower budget. Um, it, but he is, I mean, he is one of the few, certainly of like the 2021st century, like above the title directors, you know? And he, you know, it's, it's in always, terms of him being a blockbuster draw, yes. his name in and of itself. And it's yeah. always, it's never, it's always like from the imagination of Tim Burton. His right. imagination right, has right. become his trademark. That's what and they're is selling is he's going to do his thing yes, on this. An entire brand. His right. You know, it's, it's, it's in book and toy form. Like that's that the, uh, the jack-o'-lantern scarecrow yes. thing. When you see it now, you're like, that's, that's so hacky that it's in the, but you forget, right? Like this is where this is all coming from. In the same way that like from the literal pragmatic mind of Christopher Nolan has like <laughs> become like a selling uh, point. It's like you want to see his visionary directors. This is what we, right? right. From visionary right. director Zack Snyder. It's always, yeah, that's the line. Visionary. Right. But yes, for Burton, it's imagination. Yes. Um, so I'm trying to remember, I mean, the course of action. Uh, um, the headless horseman chops off more right. heads. Heads uh, uh, roll. I do like the Griffith's uh, spinning head. He said, he said that he could not be on set when his severed head was on set. It just freaked him it out freaked too much. Out. That's yeah. crazy. It seems alarming. I might be freaked out. Because they're really good heads. Yeah. yeah. They are amazing heads. I'll say too, like, uh, on, on season one of The Tick, we had the character Dr. Karamazov, whose body gets shrunk with a shrink ray. And so a lot of, I do a lot of scenes where I have a baby carriage and they had a prosthetic head in there and it would never cease to freak me out. Sure. Like, I, I worked with that for, like, fucking 10, 12 days. And every time I turned around and saw it, I would, like, get the jitters. And it wasn't as high quality as this. Um, the other thing I love is, like, all these little character details. Where I don't know if this is, like, a Burton idea or that actors feel like they have the space to come up with these things. And it's, like, kind of a blender. But the idea that, like, Richard Griffiths keeps on seeming, like, sweaty with the wig yes. and has to keep on taking it off to sort of, like, right. pat himself down Wait, is yeah. just, like, who such is a it? nice little detail. Who, when they, they die, their wig flies off and you see their hair. I think that's Jeffrey Jones. I think that's Jeffrey Jones. Yeah. Yes, that's Jeffrey Jones. Because um, yes, his hair is the most ridiculous. Yeah. But Griffiths keeps on taking it off in conversation because he keeps on pulling, like, Ichabod Crane aside to be like, let me tell you the real shit. Yes, exactly. And while he's doing it, he's like pulling his wig off and dabbing sweat off his forehead. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, there's the scene where Casper Van Dien does the pretend horseman bit, which right. is the ending of the Washington Irving story. Yes. Is that they scare Ichabod Crane away. And, and it and has then, the covered bridge and has all right. the the elements of that story. And then and then he's like, perhaps oh, wait, my imagination got the better of me. Was the that was the in the original it was a it was all a, a ruse? Yes. What about the Disney film? Uh, no, in the Disney film, he's real, right? I think, I, it's yeah. Been a while. Okay. Uh, in the short story, I'm pretty sure it's like they they freak him out with this tale of the headless horseman. What's the name like Brutus von Braun or something? Uh, that sounds uh, something Br like Br that. Balthus von Tassel, but yes, uh, Brom Bones van Brunt. Jeez, oh, <laughs> yes, right. Uh, and then uh, and Ichabod Crane is this kind of prissy Yankee school teacher who's mm -hmm. trying to like marry. Uh, Katrina, Katrina Van Tassel. Yeah. And they get sick of him. And so they freak him out with this creepy story. And then as he's riding away, they, they, he sees the headless horseman. So it's a uh, Sherlock Holmes thing. If, right. If Sherlock Holmes really sucked. 
Yeah. Uh, right. And then and then it, Katrina marries the Casper Van Dien character. Mm-hmm. And the story implies that the ghost was really just Casper Van Dien. Yeah. So I think that's why you have that in the movie. It's like it's a little nod to yeah, and, and by casting Casper Van Dien, you're sort of like drawing a, a fine line of like, this is the not the kind of leading man. Like, sure. we're trying to do the opposite of sure. this sort of like Ken doll. This is just like only other Hollywood role, right? right. Like, and he, he got in, pretty good billing on this. Like, he doesn't sure. have much dialogue, but it was kind of a like, okay, Casper Van Dien's going to keep on doing big Working with movies. a reputable director. Like, he's right. like, he's the guy that they're going to go to for. Right. He did like two big auteur artsy blockbusters. Right. And then I forgot he is, he plays Patrick Bateman in the Rules of Attraction, but they delete his scenes. Right. Uh, but there's like a scene where uh, James Vanderbeek calls and like, then he's like, hi, I'm Patrick Bateman. I'm the American psycho. Like, I'm wearing a suit. Ha ha ha. Yeah. You know, like, but they cut that out. And then he like married a princess. Like he married royalty and had a reality TV show that was him like in a, in a European country as a prince. Uh, yes. He, he married a Yugoslavian princess, Thank Catherine you. Oxenberg. Uh, I saw him at a uh, Lincoln Center screening of uh, RoboCop. The Verhoeven was doing the two with like uh, introduction Q&As in between. And uh, Van Dien was there and looked so fucking hot. He's like 50 now. Yeah, and I was just like, who the fuck is this handsome guy? He had a beard. He had like a crushed velvet suit. Sure. And I was like, Jesus Christ. I bet he looks great with a beard. Yeah, he looked unbelievable. Get him in a movie. Yeah. Get him in a movie. Yeah. Gauntlet's been thrown. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Making some calls. Yeah, bring back Van Dien. Yeah. Van Dien. Van Dien. Um... So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Well, then, yeah. And then Van Dien gets uh, cut in half. And at some point around this point is the famous scene with the family that gets just all decapitated. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's really good. And that's like the the the, the big Andy Kevin Walker scene. Like, you're just like, right. okay, that's the writer of where, Seven. Where you see the, the mother's head oh, and then so her funny. eyes are looking yeah. through the Oh, man. The it's amazing. Boards. That's fucking I great. feel like there was a teaser that used that. I think they would kind of use that as a standalone. The first teaser yes. was, like, it started with that, with, like, the little boy going to the room and, like, with the shadows on the wall from yeah. his lantern. And then he just says, yes. And it's <laughs> apropos of nothing. He just says, yes. And all of a sudden, that headless horseman bursts through the door. Yeah. Which this was, like, a big deal trailer. And one of the first times that, like, a studio, like, brought a trailer to Comic-Con and was, like, playing it on a right, loop right. and putting up posters and shit, like, months before it, it came out. Like, their yeah. push works. Like, this movie being a hit does not seem like a foregone conclusion. No, like, and I Heads think Will they did Roll the right felt thing. like one of those, like, size does matter. Like, tagline. everyone was fucking perfect. quoting how clever that was. Yeah. And 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 that image of the tree, which was sort of the, the leading image in their, like, their early posters. Yeah, had, yeah. There, so had there been, like, iconic, like, because, like, you know, Pan's Labyrinth has a very similar image. Like, mm-hmm. iconic trees became a thing, I yeah, feel. Yeah. But that was, like, one of the early iconic this trees. It's kind of the roots of gothic tree cinema. <laughs> it's, that is, I think that is such a good poster. It's, so it's amazing. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. I, 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 I do like this movie. Yeah. It's great. Thanksgiving, right. It was a Thanksgiving it movie. It was a Thanksgiving release. Does Perfect, any movie really. ever make you want to, like, drink apple cider more? Exactly. Oh, it's just yes. like, it's like right now, it's like, you just, like, this morning I felt like the first vestiges of fall. It's a little chilly today. Yes. Right. And it, it's not like a movie like the thing that makes you feel, like, frozen, but yeah. it's a movie that definitely makes you feel chilly. Like, yeah. they evoke. You want to wear a, a, a thick jacket. Yeah. Or a, a corduroy. Sweater, right? it's, yeah. a, it's, it's, sweater, it's a great right? sweater yeah. movie. <laughs> all black, right? Yeah. A little accent of orange. Okay. Definitely. You want to bring in a little pumpkin quality to your sweater. It is makes it, you want to smoke cigarettes in the parking lot. Where, it, you know, that first time in the you know, first 
night of fall where you go outside if you smoke and you are also noticing that your breath is visible for the right, first time. Right. Yeah, write some dark poetry. Drink some soup. I'm, I'm going to get it back to a yeah, more, sure. more, you know, oh. more soupy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Fuck, I forgot. It doesn't matter. Listen to The Cure. Uh-huh. You're just, you're just a goth. Oh, that's what I was going to say. This movie has the same look as The Nightmare Before Christmas in a lot of ways. Like, yes. the town oh, totally. looks like The Nightmare yes. Before Christmas. Very much so. Like, it is like he and finally, the, the he was like, we can just, like, yeah. right, we can just do this yeah. live action. I have right. the money now. And I think a yeah. lot of the, you know, that comes from the fact that they shot it on a soundstage. Right. In the same way, they just built large versions of the sets from yeah. Those weird Nightmare houses. Christmas. Yeah. yeah. And it's not a comedy, and he's not beholden to a set of aesthetics that he has to Burtonize. Like, right. he can Burtonize Batman, but he still has to hit certain key points, sure. yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. and silhouettes and things like well, that. Well, like you said, there's not a real kitsch. Like, right. Yeah. Um, the, the windmill's cool. Well, the, well wait, wait, the witch scene. We can't ignore the witch scene because that is uh, yes. his one like loopy like moment early on the, with the eyes coming the, out. Which was in the trailer without those, without the eyes. Right. Like that shot is in the right. trailer, but they hadn't finished the effects yet or didn't right. want to reveal them. Yeah. Because the movie gets goofier the more Crane is scared. Like yes, that's when right. Depp goes hard on these things. Yeah, and that scene is he just like comedic interplay of yeah. I like the bit that he keeps on waking up and someone has to explain to him what he missed yeah, right. because he keeps fainting at the scene of the crime. <laughs> right. Also, I love the edit of that witch scene where she does the eye thing and then grabs his throat and then it hard cuts to him just walking quickly out of the cave. Like, yeah, we're leaving. All right. right. Uh, uh, I love that scene. And it reminds me of The Witch. Right. Much, much, much later. But oh, yeah, she kind of little, yeah. acts the way that, like, the comic relief in a big disaster movie acts, where he's right. doing the, like, must go faster, you know? Yeah. But he's, he's like John Hanna in the Mummy movies. Right, like, but he's yes. the lead, yes, yes, which is so fun. It's funny the Mummy came out the same year, though, like another weird revival of horror. That like, I was you know. terrified of. And people compared these two movies in reviews. They were like, yeah, it's kind of like The Mummy. It's like a big, dumb thing. <laughs> Which is so weird. It is, it is amazing to read the reviews now and they're like, this Hollywood schlock. And you're like, yeah. God, people would be so happy to get this from yeah. Hollywood these days. Yeah. Like, this, you know. this movie would get seven Academy Award nominations <laughs> if it came out tomorrow. Probably. Truly. It like, would, yeah. Every below the line, like, you know, craft would, would be nominated for this film. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I just think... Uh, the witch scene is him going full tilt. This is where I'm going to do my merchandise spotlight. Because of the witch action figure? They made an f- action figure of the witch, which was the, one of the worst business decisions of all time. Not a great idea. Did they do the other Miranda Richardson character too? Absolutely so not. Okay, okay. Yeah. So this was a time when like, you looked low rent if you didn't have enough characters to fill out a line. Uh-huh. Like Now it's very much like if you have one cool character, it's just the hero. You make that one figure and you just right. sell it. But back then it was like, you look unimpressive if you don't have like a cast of visually appealing characters. So it's like Ichabod Crane comes with the bag, all the little Goggles, doodads, all that right? Stuff, yeah. Okay, Headless Horseman comes with the walking head, comes with the skull, you can put them on, right? Cool. Tree playset. There, there was a playset with the tree and the horse and everything that was right. like very epic at the time. Yeah. That one doesn't have heads. Okay. The heads only came with the standalone horseman. Oh, okay. okay. And right. it comes with the heads of the couple that he can hold in his hand, right, by the hair. And then they were like, fuck, we need one more. So they did the witch, who's essentially just like a a lump of like sort of like like muslin. Yeah, she looks like an old tree, She's like Yoda's right. Yoda's cloak, imp- right. Like personified, but right. with the shawl over her head, and then she comes with like some bowls of shit. <laughs> but, and then the thing was, you could take the hood off, and then she had the snake eyes. But was it one of those action things where you would squeeze her? Like it was, she had a strand and- of hair because I owned this one. I was like, I better buy this before they sell out, and then they. <laughs> 
existed <laughs> on shelves for five years. They couldn't get rid of them. There was a strand of her hair that stuck out in the back, and you'd push it into her skull, and then the eyes and the tongue would come out. Did you but, own any other Sleepy Hollow action figures? I had just... Ichabod, and I weirdly never got the Horseman. Horseman's kind of the cool one. That was the cool one. Yeah. Yeah. But got I got knife teeth. I had the Ichabod, yeah. Because I had like a whole like Tim Burton, like, he was so my guy at this time that I had like all my Tim Burton shit in my like I had trying. so much nightmare stuff. Yeah. And I had the Edward Scissorhands figure. I had and my, then my I had... Uh, Oyster Boy book. Oh, yeah. Death Death Oyster, Oyster Boy. Boy. And which they now, then, then they made figures from that. They did, yeah. yeah. And then in between, there was like a Flash macro web series. They did oh, like that's a cartoon right. I remember show that. Yeah. that had all his regular voice people. Back when I had like dial up internet and had to wait an hour so for every single one of those things to load. But it was Stain Boy, who was like the hero, who's a little boy who can make stains of things. You guys are nerds. Yep. <laughs> and his commissioner was like Glenn Shadix. Voice of the mayor, Otho and, from yeah. uh, Beetlejuice. And he was also And he would Planet assign him a case, and then it would be like, you have to go meet Matchstick Girl. And then, like, Matchstick Girl would be, like, the new freak of the week. I definitely saw Nightmare Before Christmas mm-hmm. in theaters. Mm-hmm. And I remember my dad beforehand being like, so, like, this movie has, like, kind of an intense concept. Like, I'm yep. going to try and, you know, like, the holidays are all towns. Like, I remember, I think he had seen it. Uh-huh. To, like, get me ready for it, yeah. maybe. My mom would not let me see it because she thought it was too spooky. And I loved it so much. Yeah. I, I was freaked out by the, the boogeyman being worms. Prior, like prior to yeah. discovering Tim Burton, I was just all about uh, Lucas, Spielberg, mm-hmm, sure. and Universal Monsters, I think. Okay, okay. So I had those. And I didn't I didn't even really seen the Universal Monsters movies. They were, like, these old library books I'd get that just, like... Had the stills. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I had, so I had, I had all of those. those kinds of books, yeah. And... So all of a sudden, one day, my mom shows me this Newsweek article about Tim Burton around the time Batman sure. comes out. Or maybe right. after Batman. I can't remember what. In that era. Yeah. Right after he'd hit it really big. And he just looked so cool. That was, yeah. And his, his look was so striking. And yeah. So as an, I think, so I would have been eight at that point. And from that point forward, I was like, I want to be Tim Burton. Well, that's the thing. I, it's like, for movie nerds, it's like, he's such a good, like, starter kit. For the notion of auteurism. Completely. And you get what yeah. a director is if you start getting into Tim Burton when you're like six. Because up until then, like, I remember being so confused when my parents told me that directors didn't always write their own movies. Sure. And I was like, so what do they do if someone else wrote the story? Right. And they were like, they tell people where to stand. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> and you watch Spielberg movies and you know how they make you feel. And you watch George Lucas movies and you're like, okay, Star Wars, that's an aesthetic. But then I'd remember like renting American Graffiti and being like, this is people in cars. What yeah, is this? this? Fit? But Burton movies like have a sensibility, they have a tone, they have thematic concerns that they're always coming back to. Mm-hmm. And then you look at a photo of Tim Burton and you're like, he looks like a Tim Burton movie. Sure. Right. He literally you know? looks like his movie. But the whole thing, I get right. what he's, he's bringing to the table. He's perfect for a young film fan, like, right, because his movies do all kind of have the same vibe. And, right. Right, that's what you can You, you like dissect the frog. You understand right. what this guy's hand yes. is doing in yeah. the process. Right. right. And then also the notion of if you hear an announcement, my dad would go like, oh, did you hear Tim Burton's going to do Planet of the Apes now? You have an an imagination in your head of what that's going to be. Exactly. As opposed to that guy who made that movie you liked is going to adapt that book you like. And you're like, I hope it's good. You know? He has a template that you start applying these concepts to. And it's so consistent. Who's going to play what? Exactly. You know? Then again, this is the same conversation. we what doomed him. Right. Then the template. Yeah. yeah, He can't stop putting the template on everything. But this is the end of sort of like his miracle run decade. What do you think went wrong? Like, or went wrong is sort of, I mean, his movie's been funny. I've thought about it because, you know, Planet of the Apes feels like, again, like I said earlier, that feels like that's what would have happened with Superman. It's like a yes. movie he should not have said yes, yes to. 
whether it was he didn't have a real take it just felt like they were like you must come up with something yeah, it's like, like, it's like we need we need a director angle. for this you liked it and like yeah. he he you know that movie the trailer starts with the scarecrow that's about all he, right. he's like let's add scarecrows to it <laughs> yeah and and then i think it was around the same period that nightmare before christmas really had a renaissance and became a seasonal classic right mm-hmm. like prior to that point like I watched it every year, but, but it, was it wasn't. Re- it started to be released in theaters again every Halloween and Christmas. But like, I went to a Walgreens last night, and the amount of Nightmare Before Christmas shit they had at Walgreens, it's like, oh, because it's that time of the year. Now it's like you have your seasonal band aids, and there were Jack Skellington dog chew toys, and it's on all the food and everything. Like two and a half decades later, at your fucking pharmacy, there's so much nightmare shit where that right. used to be like the back corner of a comic book store. Totally. That movie kind of dooms him in a way, even though he didn't make Directed. it. His name's in it. Right. And then it becomes so merchandised and everything yeah. that it becomes like, oh, it's that fucking thing. I think that contributed to the weight of his own aesthetic that he felt. I mean, I, 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 I would love to talk to him about it. It's like, so yeah. I'd love to just meet him because he still is a hero of mine. Yes. But I wonder what it's like to have those expectations right. when it's because it's not like he's done that many different types of movies. He has like one type of movie he makes. Yes. And when he veers off of it a little bit, that usually right. doesn't work too well. With like so big eyes. Those right, are my yeah. two yeah. big theories. One are I one theory A is I think he sort of gets happier after this movie. Okay. Once he gets with Helen Bonham Carter, they have children. Right. He starts seeming a lot more sort of content. Moves even to in, London. In interviews, yeah. he seems a lot less he used to tortured. Live, like, down the road he's a lot funnier. He's a lot lighter. And he seems a lot less sort of like burdened by mm-hmm. the, how dare you, burdened by the burdened sort by? of like uh, stress of the career and the expectations and everything. He's just sort of like, yeah, I don't know. This seems like fun. It's worth doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that becomes, I mean, his decision making process is like, sure, why not? Which is not a good way to maintain a sense of Never. consistency in a career or a voice. The yeah. second thing is, I do think, as you said, that every time he's tried to veer off 15 degrees, it's, it's so flatly rejected, ignored, it doesn't connect in the same mainstream way, whatever it is. I mean, like, Ed Wood was critically revered. It was such a fucking flop. Right, but that that's earlier. But that yeah. movie's a masterpiece. The, the other inter- right. inter- interesting thing is he— But even Sweeney Todd, like, I think his career would have gone in a different direction if Sweeney Todd had been more well-received. I think he would have maybe evolved a little more. And I don't think it's surprising that after Sweeney Todd, he's like, fuck it, Alice in Wonderland. You know, let me do the thing I know I can get money to do. Sure. They'll give me the toy box. I can do whatever. But wasn't Sweeney Todd pretty well received? Yeah. It was well received and made money. I mean, it, it was. It was, all, it was I, also, I and it got Oscar nominations. It was also the, like, that was a passion project that he'd been wanting to 100%. make for yeah. decades right, at that right, point. Right, so right. he just was. Like he'd been ready to make that movie he was for maybe, so yeah, long. It was, he was creatively spent after that. But the that interesting movie, thing right. is, like, aside from. That, I mean, really, since Nightmare Before Christmas, and then you could kind of say with Corpse Bride and Frankenweenie, yeah. he's only, like, processed other people's properties. Correct. He right. takes other properties and puts them through the Burton filter. He becomes a cover band. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, he's, Shadows, and he has not program. made yeah. an original Tim Burton film in since the beginning of his career. Right. Now, my point of clarification not okay. to be a stickler about this, oh boy. but with the Sweeney Todd thing is, there were two things. One is it had a lot of Oscar hype before it, and yeah. then before it had been screened widely, he won Best Director from the National Board of Review. Mm. And I remember people going like, oh, fuck, is this a major awards player? Well, and Big Fish had also been a thing where I think everyone right. was like, right. 
this will be his Oscar movie. Which does pretty yeah. well, but gets one Oscar nomination. So then yeah. I think that was seen as a disappointment in terms of him maybe trying to evolve. Because that movie takes place half in a totally real world. It's the only sure. time he's ever shot, like, normal people. Mm-hmm. You know, the Billy Crudup half of the movie. Right. Um, and it did pretty well, but it was expensive, and it didn't get any Oscar nominations aside from Elfman for score. Right. Which is weird. It is weird. That, that was Elfman's first nomination ever. But Big Fish was a, a critically not very well received. Correct. Whereas, like, Sweeney Todd got, you know, right. you know people kind of liked it. But it didn't become a major Oscar play. And the other no. thing was, Warner Brothers did that insane marketing campaign for it where they hid that it was a musical. Yeah. They sold it more like Sleepy Hollow where totally. it was like, this yeah. is a Johnny Depp murderer movie. Right. And they didn't show him singing on camera. And the opening day of the movie was really fucking big. And then it dropped off like 60% in day two. It's like Johnny Depp walks into a close-up and starts singing. And yeah. like, what is this friends. movie? But it, there were See literally like, listen. there were write-ups of like people walking out the first time he sure. sang and being like, what the fuck is this? Well, like, the movie is the all singing. There's yeah. not a lot of talking it's in an opera. No. Movie. It's an opera. But, yeah. like, like teenage boys who were like, this is like a fucking bloody Johnny Depp movie. It is. Like I mean, flipped it out. Is they just had to stick with it a little. It's just right. one of those movies that did like almost 10 on opening day and ended up at 60 you know uh, well yeah well we'll talk about it we'll talk yeah. about that one but so i think like you know these are relative successes they're not crazy colossal failures but for a guy like burton who when he's big he's huge i think feels dissuaded by not making a movie that goes over a hundred million dollars um all right uh let's wrap it up yes. the, the movie the sleepy hollow just because so he starts to track the sort of bloodline the he family figures out the, will the thing, next right. of kin the Again, will who cares i mean i i can't deny that I don't really care. I love it because yeah. I love it's about shitty old people. No, I, mean, it's I, great. I like that. I love too. that. I, yeah. in, but, in theory, as an abstract. Right. Right. I don't the, really know how the, it all intersects. Exactly. The details, because I think when he looks at the family tree and he's like, aha, and I'm like, uh, uh, what, what, who, who is who again? All like, you need to know is that he gets it. I know. And I like that the I movie know. doesn't bog us down with too much explaining. And then you've got the... Um, you know, the the final final twist post-church that it's all been Miranda Richardson, who has been kind of underused up to this point. Right. Oddly using an American accent. Every I time I watch him, like, yeah. why do you They're English. That? Like, these are people, these people just, they're still English. Like, yeah. America's very new. And this was the end of her big decade. Yeah, completely. Yes. I was like, because like when she showed up in Stronger, I was like, where has she yeah, been? Yeah, where the fuck has she been? Because she's always so good. And she was like running the table on the 90s. It's true. And in the 2000s, she gets really quiet. Yeah, I mean, she does English TV and stuff, but, but it's she probably true. does theater. Like, like she does lots of theater. Yeah, she's in like Fred Claus. And I mean, shit. she was in Rubicon. Let's not forget. She's in Rubicon. Bring back Rubicon. Yeah, she's in fucking Fred Claus. She plays Paul Giamatti's Written wife. Written by Fred Dan Claus. Fogelman. Yes, I know. Yeah, Dan Fogelman's been on a tear today uh, on online. It's been it's been crazy. Really? Well, oh, this is one of those episodes we're recording six months in advance. Mm-hmm. So, on the record, what do we think Dan Fogelman's tweeting about? When this episode releases he, in February. He claimed that the reason this movie's getting bad reviews is that me, white men don't like sentimental films, which is like like a big reach, you yeah. know, in general. Also, anyway. white men, so fucking sentimental. Well, it's just... Especially a, in this day and age. I right? love them. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just a, it was an odd play for him, I guess. Uh, anyway. I also just think it's news. always a bad look when a filmmaker goes like the reason why people don't like my movie is because of this hang up they have right yeah where it's like I don't know maybe don't fight the critics on it just yeah the movie just came out just stay let off it, Twitter it, on right, opening day of your movie right. yes yeah. do you like engage at all when you have a new film coming out no I don't even I don't read reviews right. I don't no. 
Google search anything. Mm -hmm. If I see the title in a magazine, I like throw it away. I throw it out the window. I just have a zero engagement policy, which is good for my mental health. Yeah, especially because you're a dude who like came up through like online film nerds. Totally, You understand how they talk about things. And I love film criticism and it kind of breaks my heart that I can't, I can't engage with sure, that sure, part of the own, process right. of my own work, but it just is better not to. Yeah. And also the people who like go on Twitter and they're like, I'm only going to read the positive things. I'm just going to retweet everything anyone nice said about sure. my movie. Then you look like an egomaniac if totally, you're like yeah. ignoring. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I just found it better not to. No. I Especially right. If you go down smart. that fans, not critics route, you know, it's so easy right. to get sucked into like people aren't getting it, but this guy does. Right. Or the opposite where you only retweet the good reviews because right. the fans are yelling at you. Or sure. or where you like try to show how magnanimous you are and, and and retweet the negative reviews and say, you know what? He has a point. It's Great lose lose. Here. No one should right. be on exactly. Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I really <laughs> learned my lesson here. Yeah. 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 Put me in my place. Yeah. Um so yeah, Miranda Richardson. I don't know. Yeah, she's, she's, just she's a twin. Rules. She's a twin. One of hers, the Chrome. I can't yep. tell if she enjoyed being in this movie though or not. Like, I can't tell if she is having fun being the character who I delivers think she's that. Having fun. That end monologue feels like she's really enjoying the, it. The key for it to me is the fact that she improvised that line. Watch your heads when they all walk into the window. Yeah, which it's five really comedy good. points. Yes. Yeah, I mean, she plays a lot of villains. Yeah, you know, in England, she is absolutely beloved on top of her general. Uh, success as a wonderful actress for playing Queen Elizabeth mm-hmm. in Blackadder, which is sure. like this venerable sitcom, which she's really, really funny in. Mm-hmm. She kind of plays her as this like capricious, sort of like saucy, like well, I was you know, gonna say, maniac. I mean, like she gets famous in Hollywood for kind of over the top iciness. Yes, certainly. Yeah. Uh but then she's so good in like Spider or, or even City. stronger, mm-hmm. where she has to play this really broad, like working class right. lady. And Atlantic you know? City she plays like a Jennifer Tilly type. Yeah. And yeah. she like fucking she is kills it. She's amazing actress. in that way. She's so good. And I mean, she was great Spider, and stronger. It's a dual role. She's yeah. great and stronger. Yeah. Stronger rules. Yeah, I know stronger is, stronger is so good. So good. One like, of the like best movies that no like, one talks yeah, about. It's really great. That uh, scene outside the baseball stadium. It, it, speaking of sentimental movies speaking of, were, yeah. of men accessing their sentimental feelings <laughs> which is what that's about uh, and what that movie's about is they yeah. became this avatar of men being like you know I I, I feel sad too I mean I, yeah. I, I like the socks but uh, uh, you know, I, mean, I, I can pitch a baseball but I, I like having tears <laughs> um, I, I love that movie so much um, uh, Stronger yeah so, I mean, this final section is they put together the mystery. You have the big sort of like, you know, villain monologue explaining how and why and all of that. I like the cuts back to the things, the images you've seen earlier. Even just like, like Christian Ricci going, the archers, and then it cuts to the archer. Right. It's like fireplace. Like, it's oh, really yeah. well done. I just yeah, always yeah, like yeah. that device because it makes me feel like, yeah, you're putting together a movie. Even though like half of those characters you haven't seen before. Right. You haven't seen yes, her sister the without the shawl over her face. Yes. You haven't seen the slave girl Sarah or whatever. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. is all getting dumped on yeah. you. After, and, there, and yes, some of the characters she's talking about were corpses whose headless bodies you saw. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah. But it, but it's all uh, fun stuff. It and feels then, like it clicks. Like it's like I right. assume it all makes it sense. It feels like it clicks. And the last idea of Ichabod realizing like I just need to give the headless horseman his own freedom. Yeah. Like, right. I got so to get that skull to that And then neck. that bloody kiss uh, oh, is geez. like incredible. Yeah. Is that that feels all burnt. That was the most. That's like the most noticeable CG in the movie too. Like when he's like re- his head reclaimed, crazy it's starting, reassembling. It's right. like the little yeah. large Marge cameo. He like drops below the frame and then pops back up yeah. in large Marge for a second. Yeah, and then 
It's like just right on the cusp of like being too much CG. Like it's like Steven Summers level, but he pulls it back. He pulls it back. And then he never pulls it back again. Hollow Man. And it's the same sort of idea, right? Like let's do bones, like muscles, right? Like like build it all out. He's got a venom tongue. No, but you're right. This is essentially the last time he has CGI restraint. What's interesting is like I was reading about Sweeney Todd and Mm. he said his initial concept for that movie was to shoot it 100% George Lucas style on green screen with no sets. Which it even is a lot of green screen. It does have a lot of green screen. It does have a lot, but it's still like more practical than Alice in Wonderland. It looks good. It's like 50-50 and it's Uh, well designed, but there's like... New York guy. What's the gangs New York guy? Who Who uh, builds the sets? Dante Spinotti. Yeah. 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 There's a quote I read from him when they were like promoting the movie where he was like, well, I'm not really much of an action director, so it's good that I got them to cast Johnny because he's not really much of an action star. This notion that if he gotten someone like Brad Pitt, there might have been more expectations to have like more heroic scenes. Instead of like Ichabod getting knocked off the carriage by right, a tree. But this, but this character is like really fun. It's, it's It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's kind of like a little mini like Victorian version of like, uh, you know, the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think, Ark, you know, he didn't like have, SUV. he didn't have yeah. Brad Pitt, but he had Ray Park and right. N- Nick Gillard. Is that his name? Nick Gilland? The, the, I think so. The fight yeah. choreographer from yeah. the prequels. Right. Who's an amazing sword choreographer. And yeah. those fight scenes are great. Yeah. The earlier fight scene too with um Castro Van Dien, yeah, the, the, the sort hooks. of two handed, yeah, that's clever. a fantastic Very clever and, fight. And the Headless Horseman never stops being a really eerie piece of imagery. Yeah, cool. you never get over the fact that the guy's fighting and he doesn't have a head. He doesn't have a head, <laughs> right? It's he's just, got a big honking sword. Doesn't like, get old. Was his cape yeah. practical or was that CG? Because nowadays that would definitely practical. nowadays yeah. I would definitely be CG, but right. I think yeah. it was practical. I think it was practical. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's nice that just once they have all the pieces together, they don't belabor it, and it's like. He's going to throw the skull. Right. He's going to turn back into Venom. Then he's going to... You don't see the kiss coming. You don't see the kiss coming. Definitely not. That's that's what I love, right? And then also, I mean, all the stuff... I also love anytime the horse goes in the tree, there's like that sort of weird spurt of blood. I love it. Oh, just the way the tree parts and the heads kind of fall. And like, it's like there's like... It's kind of Cronenberg-y. It's great. Yeah. The The matter, like the pulpy matter that's just, you know, dripping with blood when he's like hacking away. when he's hacking, right, and finds it. that tree like 30 feet tall? Like it's such a crazy... Object. They get so much value out of that tree, and like mm-hmm. the poster is just like the fucking tree. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, but the the final, uh, you know, Miranda Richardson's hand being caught on the other side, trying to like uh, lure them in. Yeah, it's just like a fun touch, and then the movie just sort of gets out. I mean, they like well, go takes her to New York, tells her the Bronx is up and the batteries down. Which I feel yeah. like that's a Tom, Tom Stoppard line, also. Yeah, must right, be. right. It's funny. It's kind of an odd ending because you're like, so what? Now they just solve. Crimes in the winter? Sure. What is- it's got that beautiful snowfall. And yeah. In fact, for me watching that, I was like, oh, the movie got my one other favorite thing, which is winter. <laughs> like, yes. Like sure. it's got they a beautiful got a snowfall in It's a great in there. fall movie. Yeah. And then it's like after fall, what comes? Winter. Right. There you go. Yeah. But it feels like if this movie was made six years later, it would have ended with someone rushing up to him and being like, Mr. Crane, have you seen the headlines? And then there would have been an Evanescent song during the credits. Right. And it would have right, been yeah. like Santa Claus sneaking through chimneys, you know, <laughs> whatever, the, whatever case he has to crack now. Um, so this movie's a big hit. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the box office. This movie made one hundred and one million dollars mm-hmm. at the domestic box office, uh, which is one eighty three adjusted. Was it October nineteenth? Was that Oops. November nineteenth? Thanksgiving weekend. It was that late. It was yes. that late. I know. Wow. You would think this would be a Halloween. Movie. Well, at least I got the number right. And it opened up against the other big blockbuster of the fall. Like people thought, like, are they going to cannibalize each other? Because you can't release 
two big movies the same weekend. They both make about the same amount of money, which is like the, the number one makes 35. This made 30. World is not enough. The world is not enough. People were surprised they got that close because of Sleepy Hollow B&R and Bond being so, uh, so beloved at the time. Yeah. Um, I'm actually want to look at opening weekends. Like, was that a lot? That was more than GoldenEye or Tomorrow Never yeah, Dies. So it was Brosnan. like a perfectly good progression for the Brosnan Bonds. Mm-hmm. World is Not Enough, a movie I have seen like so many times, even though it's not that good. A movie I have never seen. Was that the one where they're like, Bonds getting gritty? Or was that the next Brosnan one? Well, the next Brosnan one is Die Another Day, which sort of has the superfluous, like, or the- He's the like in prison at the beginning. Right, where, yeah. but like that is the least gritty. It is, because then he goes surfing or whatever. Yeah, right. and like the villain has a space yeah. laser, yeah. and there's yeah. all the ice stuff. <laughs> Mr. Diamond Face. But I remember it being a big deal, like we're bringing Bond down to Earth for this yeah. one. Right. Whereas World is Not down Enough- Down to Earth so he can fence Madonna. <laughs> the World is Not Enough, like, because Tomorrow Never Dies have been criticized for being too uh, product placement-y right. and, like, not having a solid villain or whatever. Right, so and this, also like, Christmas comes early. You know, no, no, that's The World is Not Enough. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, but, like, this one is more of just, like, it's James Bond. He's going to go to various countries. Yeah. He, there's the villainous Robert Carlyle, like, big actor. It's like yeah. nuts and bolts, James yeah, Bond. Yeah, it's just like, this is a James Bond movie. Yeah. You know, there's nothing too fancy about this yeah. movie. and Christmas comes around. And then you got Denise Richards and Sophie Marceau and uh, a little bit more M. Judy Dench has, like, stuff to do in that movie. Yeah. She gets, like, captured. And that's the first Cleese one, right? It's the first Cleese one. And they did not intend for Q to die so fast. Right. But the actor died. Right. So it's also, like... the. John Cleese is because they were like, let's get John Cleese here as insurance policy so we can get people used to him before. What's it? What was his name? Desmond R. Desmond something. Oh, Desmond Llewellyn. Desmond Llewellyn. If you're in Britain, he's like one of the 20 most famous people of all time. (laughs) (laughs) They're just like, of course, Desmond Llewellyn. Like the Selena Gomez of the UK. (laughs) So fucking famous. Uh, And when he died, like it was like a day of mourning. You died Uh, because he was the only one who's in all the bonds. Right. Like right. pretty much, people left their briefcases at his gravesite. Sure. Oh, so um, I thought I had like I had not looked at the box office. I was yep. going to try to guess, but because I mistakenly remembered it being October, mm-hmm. I'm just going to no. Because no you idea. would think it's a Halloween release. But I was it's like, like, I was it's like a eight legged freaks is going to be in yeah. there. Three Kings was the week before, oh, and but I, now I have no idea. Well, now I just want to look up the weekend you're thinking of to see because you're another box office junkie, right? I'm actually not. Like, oh, really? Like, okay. I, I've always been intrigued by it and because from being a projectionist like in the 90s I usually have a pretty good idea like like from like 97 to 2004 right. like Which what weekend like when they opened oh sure but yes. I don't really remember how, how well they, they did yeah my mom referred to it uh, yesterday she's been listening to the podcast more which is something I'm not happy about are you serious yeah but hi, she's, she's been listening to it a lot don't call her mom that's uh, my hi, mother Griffin's mom thank you I forget her name Mrs. Griffin's mom okay um, but she said I love when you guys do the office mojo Sure. And I said, what? And she went, that game where you guess the numbers, you know, the office mojo? Yeah, the office mojo. We just try to capture them. Steve Carell magic, you know? That sounds like a mad TV parody (laughs) where they put Austin Powers in the office. Um, Number three. Number three. So, World's Not Enough is number one. Sleepy Hollow is number two. Number three was number one the week before. It's an animated film. The first in a long franchise. First in a long franchise. 1999... Uh, it's not Sims. Toy Story 2 no 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 no, no David no, no, Sims no. saw this in theaters Toy Story 2 came out the next weekend Is I it? believe you're right yeah okay David no Sim- no no Toy Story 2 comes out this weekend on one limited. screen limited that's right, right. one right. screen but it goes wide the next week Correct. that's what I know yeah. okay 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 so it's an animated film long, long running franchise mm. we're talking a 2D picture I'd imagine Correct. it's a hand drawn it's based off a TV show 
Uh, yeah. I know what it is. It is Pokemon the first movie. That's right. That's right. It's Pokemon the first movie. Mew versus Mew. Which I'm assuming, David, you were too old for Pokemon. I was too I was old for it. I had like siblings who were into it. I'm the oldest of nine, so I feel oh, like wow. I got all of those, you know, things. Right. Well, no, you, no, my family ever really loved Pokemon that much, though, but. They had a promotion for that movie opening weekend where they would give out the limited edition cards. Oh, yeah. We, the, Did you the, hoard the a bunch of The projection booth was just full of those. Right, because that must have been any, like worth its weight in gold. Any promotional the item, they stored in the booth. Oh, so we just God. had all of those things. Yeah, right. like fucking flubber watches and oh, things. Oh, totally. I had yeah. so much flubber stuff. Uh, flubber, I, had, like, I remember, had so much shit. I had like See, these I little changing buttons. I pulled that one for a reason, David. I had so much flubber stuff. Flubber had so much shit. I wasn't objecting to you bringing up flubber. <laughs> Why are you crying right now? I'm telling you. <laughs> Number four. Um, is like, you know, the kind of movie they don't make much anymore. Like an old fashioned R rated, like kind of thriller, like oh, flubber, <laughs> like star driven thriller. Okay, kind of like a murder mystery. Was it Ashley Judd? No, but it, you know, in that in zone, that it's a male lead, female uh, a second lead, and the female uh, actress is sort of like. Like a coming, she's coming up. She's, she's on not, the rise. Yeah, she's like going to be a star pretty much right now. Male stars older? No, like you know, maybe a little older. Interesting. So they're they're kind of contemporaries. It's ben not the smiling bone in recognition. It is oh! the bone collector. Well done. Oh, but so like I was thinking like it's like oh if, if she's a big star now, Angelina Jolie is like surpassed big star. But right, that's true. I mean, yeah. they, but like at this this is her Oscar winning year. She's going to win an Oscar, you know, in a few months. Right. This was one of her. First big like studio above the title movie. Yeah, because she had been floating around like in uh you know various fire like, love is all there is or whatever. But playing right. with hearts or ninety nine is when she has pushing tin playing yeah. by heart bone collector girl interrupted. Impressive. Then we came out in October, so that was like hanging around, right? Bone collector came out November fifth. Oh, okay. this is its th- third weekend. That was a pretty good hit. Denzel, of course, yeah. is yeah. the star. Yeah, to, uh, yeah, I've yeah. heard of him. Uh, Philip Noyce film. Right. Uh, you know, one of those, Philip Noyce is one of those guys. Like, he makes Hollywood movies. I remember, so she must have had a good experience because then she must have brought him on to Salt at that point. Yeah, who is yeah. Salt? Oh, yeah. we, who is the Salt? The world will never know. Who is Salt? I remember so many fucking late night hosts because she, at that who moment, everyone decided, I don't know, David. Stop it's asking like Angelina me. Angelina Jolie, isn't it? He texts me like four o'clock in the morning <laughs> every night asking who Salt is. Who is Salt? Sometimes just a picture of a salt shaker with a question mark. <laughs> like seven question marks. We just don't talk about salt enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I never got to make my spinoff film. Pepper? Yeah, of course. <laughs> there it is. I felt I had to do it. I Number did, I'm five. Not, can I say the thing I remember? Oh, sure. Okay. Because she became like the hot person that year mm-hmm. in the same way that like someone like Scarlett Johansson will be like the punchline if you have to like fill in the blank with someone that people find attractive. I remember so many fucking late night hosts making like, but she can collect my bone. Right. jokes it was so it was like pun worthy and it was right. gross like it yeah. was gross when they made that pun because it was like collect your bone like, like, imagery it, like a murder movie about some guy who's stealing bones yeah, she's like in the <laughs> tunnels like trying to solve that would like, be like every late night show host now getting fired instantly instantly right right, right. also like i don't want to hear leno invoke his hard <laughs> penis the last image i want in my head you disgusting fucking denim wearing old man <laughs> he wasn't that old uh, by the way, time. Jay Leno's our guest next week on yeah. the Planet of the Apes episode. <laughs> um, number five is a movie I bet, I think we've talked about it, that I bet you really loved. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I okay. bet you thought this movie was real Is clever. it a dumb baby movie? No, no, no. Yeah, no. I thought it was really clever. Yeah. It's As, like a, it's in like a comedy a, way? Yeah, it's like a dark comedy. It's a dark, it, it's kind of twisted. <laughs> ben was like, made like a disgusted, like fucking face. Like he was a bad boy. 
Okay, it's a 1999 dark comedy. Is a director who mostly does comedies? Yeah. And where was this in their arc? This is like them working with a bigger budget for the first time. For the first time. Kind of. To make yeah. a big budget comedy. Is this a star vehicle? Mm. It's got a lot of stars in it. Ensemble cast, yeah. you say. Yeah. Ensemble. Yeah. yeah. A twisted picture <laughs> from 1999. Ensemble I feel like cast. we've talked about this movie. Is it is it gothic? Is it is it sort of like is it a is it like a, it's a got violent a fantasy element? It's violent. It's a violent, but it's funny fantasy element comedy that I probably ate up with a spoon. Probably, if you were allowed to see it, you it's may not have been big. No, I probably or maybe you saw it on video it later. On video and it did. It was very controversial. You definitely had strong opinions, and you would tell all your friends about how it changed. Right, how how it really like opened your eyes. It wasn't Fight Club. Oh wait, it's American Beauty. Nope. No, nope. no. Nope. Nope. Uh, Both of those movies are are hanging around, but no. Nope. Yeah. Uh because I don't know if you know this, but David Fincher movies are actually very funny if you know how to watch them. Um, uh just to give you an idea, this movie is it's second week, it's made fifteen million dollars, it's gonna make thirty. So not not a hit. No, but it, it tripled its budget. Really? What was yeah. the budget? Ten million. Huh. I, I can't believe you guys aren't getting it. I'm going to give you another clue. I probably loved it. Uh, he's someone that I guess we could... He's an auteur. Is it his fourth one? Yeah, it sounds right. His fourth movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's his fourth picture. <laughs> you're, you're just drawing this out at this point. I genuinely can't even think of what this would be. I'm thinking of posters that had like a lot of people. A lot of them. people. The poster is a lot of people. And Ben knows that it's his fourth film. Yes. His first three, like, left impressions. Yes. Oh, 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 oh. Did you like it? Oh. Did you think this movie was clever? Boy, did I love it. Uh I thought it was so smart. Mm -hmm. And people didn't get it. And it was high art and low art. Uh And it should have gotten every fucking Oscar nomination. And it's called Dogma. It's called Dogma. Kevin Smith's Dogma. I loved Dogma. That was the one I would go to the mat for right. hard. That was like the first time I ever got a screenplay in advance. So like like someone, Ooh, like I yeah. found it on the internet and I was like right. so pumped, so excited yeah. about that. I have not thought about it since. No. How do you, yeah. I, I, I had say. the two disc DVD that, where the case looked like a Bible, probably with like fucking movie on it or some shit. Sure. I just, I wore that thing out. But right, you know, like that poster, it's yeah. a lot of folks. Yeah, a lot of folks. Get touched by an angel. That's yeah. the, um, Tag and on. that movie had so much like. Oh, wasn't heat the DVD that Drew Struzan cover? I think. Yes, yeah. right. That was the, for the special edition. Yeah. But the notion that like, like these were cool posters, the ones that had the stained glass effect. Were yeah, and the cool. DVD one is cool. But, the, but those were the British posters. God, well, you, like, you would have a frame of reference even knowing that. Um, the other thing yeah, about like, that movie on, was man. that Chris like Rock's on uh, there. Disney wouldn't let Miramax release it. I know. So it had such a reputation as like a bad boy. Totally, movie. yeah. And then people were like, "This is like his breakthrough." He's delayed for he's a little growing while. Growing up, he's taking on bigger themes. It's a commercially, it was his highest grossing film, and then he just went sideways forever. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. He kind of retreats. Kevin Smith, I feel like the story with him is always like anything he does that gets kind of a rocky. He like then he'll be like, okay, well, let me just give you Jay and Silent Bob again. Like that's what you want, right? right. Like Clerks too, like. Yeah, we'll just we'll just go back to like the absolute basics. It doesn't have to look good. No one has to try very hard. Like it'll just be funny. Lots of dialogue. Like, that's what you want. Very interesting article to dig up from 1999. As we face the 21st century of cinema, we asked 10 people who is the next Martin Scorsese. 
who's going to be the defining director for the next like 30 years. And someone picks Kevin Smith and is very defensively like, hear me out, hear me out. I know he seems as far from Martin Scorsese, but there's so much fucking ambition and dogma that you have to imagine this guy's going to keep on trying crazy shit. And maybe it won't work, but he's going to be swinging big. And then he just goes into such a comfort zone. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? Uh, Do you know who Scorsese picked? Who? Wes Anderson. Cool. That was, they said, finally, we asked him, the man himself. And he he he, said. He picked uh, uh, Wes Anderson. Had Rushmore even come out at that point? I think it barely just come come out. out? Yes. So yeah, Um, he saw that potential in Bottle Rocket. But he puts like like Bottle Rocket as like his third of the 90s. He did that like after Gene Siskel had died. He sat in with Ebert to do the 10 best films of the 90s. And I think Bottle Rocket was his three. Oh, so early champion. Yeah, I think it was The Puppet Master, then Eyes Wide Shut, then Bottle Rocket, maybe. And, and Thin Red Line was in the five. His well, number one is Horse Thief. Oh, really? And his number two is The Thin Red Line. Okay. Then A Borrowed Life. I don't know what those movies are. No. Uh, then Eyes Wide Shut, Bad Lieutenant, Breaking the Waves, Bottle Rocket. Okay, Bottle Rocket. Crash, The Cronenberg. Yeah. Uh, Fargo, Malcolm X, and Heat Tide. That's a weird list. Sure. He's a wild guy. He's a wild guy. Wild and crazy guy. Uh, so we're done. We, we did Sleepy Hollow. We did Sleepy Hollow. We survived the hollow. Heads rolled. Uh, David, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. Thanks oh, for David. liking our podcast. Uh, saw a ghost story. I loved it. I, I wanted to pitch. I just, well, the oh, thing I we noticed. Go. Anytime we get a big Hollywood player in here, Ben wants to pitch the movies. Yeah. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm receptacle for pitches. So. Yeah. Well, I noticed no ghouls. <laughs> or ghoul goblins. Story. Ooh, goblin story? You know, there's room for the franchise to grow. That's what I was thinking. It's an, I mean, it's an expansive story. Like, you, you know, you have a dark really universe. We've created, yeah, 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 we've created a dark yeah. universe. Yeah. Right. I should mention, though, since this is the uh, Tim Burton podcast series, yeah. right. that the first frame of a ghost story is a reference to a deep cut Tim Burton joke. Okay. So the LLC that we formed for the film is Scared Sheetless LLC. Which, as Burton Files will know, is what he pitched to Warner Brothers when they wanted to change the title of Beetlejuice. <laughs> and he did it in jest, and then they took him very they seriously. Were like, hmm. They were like, you know, that's exactly the, <laughs> what happened. Um, and I've always loved that story. I love Beetlejuice. I looked at Ghost Story as a remake of Beetlejuice in many ways and wanted to just toast to that classic. That's why it's good. See, most filmmakers aren't smart enough to try to remake Beetlejuice. But every Beetlejuice remake is good. Sure. What are the others? Moonlight. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Moonlight, moonlight, moonlight. Right. Yeah, I can't. Any trick is a remake. Yeah. Yeah, right. I cannot keep this joke going. Uh-huh. Um, well, uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, old Man old man, the Gun will be available on uh, digital platforms by the time this episode comes out six years from now. Uh, yeah, it'll be the whatever format exists at that point in time. Right. I think Blu-rays will have gone the way of the right. Dodo. It'll be and, on contact lens or yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, but we're, Apple we're Glass. Like recording this the night of your premiere. It's true. Oh, yes. yeah. Um, well, I walked by the Paris Theater earlier and saw them putting up the marquee. And, That's cool. That's and very cool. was like, I should take a photo of that. Sure. I did. And I was like, I should Instagram that. I did not. Maybe one day. Not too you late. Save it for uh, Throwback Thursday. Have you done other New York premieres? Is this your first? This is New the York first premiere? one. Wow. Yeah, exciting. Yeah, uh, I've only done at- one premiere. We've did we did Pete's Dragon and at the El Capitan, and naturally because it's a Disney movie. Sure. And the rest of them have all just been you know the classic festival. film festival things. Right. So, have you right. done a tech rehearsal on Redford to make sure the program will boot up in time to be on the red carpet? That's what I've got to get out of here. Yeah. For. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. 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 Uh, well, please watch David's movies. Sure. Uh, thank you for being Not here. Not my movies. I don't have any. 
Uh, I mean, I have a bunch of Blu-rays if you want to come over. Come over and hang out. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> Also, didn't you direct Underworld Blood Wars? I did. I did direct the Nutcracker of the, the Four Realms, as we all know. Right? Well, you yeah. only did two of the realms, right? Yeah, right, right. Gumdrop and Swan. I don't know. Like, I don't know what Let's the do on the are. record since we're recording this so far in advance. I think by the time that movie comes out, it will have four more directors credited. Sure, right. If it came out. Right. Lassie Hallstrom. Sure. Ida Lupino. That's my old joke. <laughs> it seems like it's ripe for a last minute. This is going to be our streaming Christmas movie of 2021. Yeah. Yes. Right, right. Or right. they have Feige take over it and reshoot it to work it into the MCU. We couldn't get it out of the vault. What if that's what oh, they say? Like, it's just in the vault. It's we still forgot in the there. combination. <laughs> right. Sitting right next to Song of the South. I Someone. swear it's there. <laughs> right. Jesus. Uh, that movie looks bonkers. What if we do a miniseries and we only do one episode per realm? So we we like go back to the Star Wars days. Right? Yeah, Ben is saying ben, let's get out of here. He's ben very is saying angry. drag this on. No. Keep talking about oh, no. it. Okay, Ben's taking right, a piece right. of ta- taffy and he's pulling it as far <laughs> and as wide as he can. Wow, Ben, you have a traffic light. Oh, green. You know, I get it. I get it. I know. Yeah, You're we'll saying keep going. Slow down. <laughs> all right, we're done. We're and done. That we're was done. just handed Fine. a death card. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, <laughs> review, subscribe. Uh, go to blankiesareret.com for some real nerdy shit. Thanks to Andrew Gudo for our social media, Lane Montgomery for our theme song, Joe Bone and Pat Reynolds for our artwork. Sure. And as always, check out our merch on TeePublic. Oh, check out our merch on TeePublic. New designs will be uh, uh, available by the time this comes out. Designs we probably haven't even designed yet. Sure. Uh, on the record. We're still imagining them. Uh, from the twisted mind of Griffin and David, our boutique label. Um... <laughs> And as always, Ben literally looks like he wants to murder me right now. I'm going to cut your head off. <laughs>